This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Coming up in a little bit, but for now, you're stuck with us, numbskulls. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, the maestro of the matchup, the player projection pundit, the Corsi authority, the ad drop ace, Brian Kong. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. So happy to be here for another special episode because they're all special, but this one is special because we do have a guest coming up later, as you already alluded to. Why am I already repeating information so early on in the show? Elon, tell us something new. The thing is, Brian, I like sort of prepare the outline of what we're going to talk about on the show, and then you go through the outline and sort of come up with what your responses are going to be, but you never prepare what you're going to say when I say, Brian, come. You have nothing prepared, so it's always off the cuff. I'd say 50% of the time you say something interesting. Maybe next time. Okay, we do have a special guest coming up. His name is Pete Jensen. He's the senior fantasy editor at NHL.com. Huge on Twitter, tweets all the time. He's great. You guys are going to love him. He's going to come on in around an hour, but first, Brian, we have a ton to get to. And before we get to that, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is another great resource for fantasy hockey. In fact, I might even call it the best resource for fantasy hockey. They've got everything, every day, new articles, daily ramblings. You've got tools, like so many useful tools. I personally love the real-time line combinations in-game. I'll be referring to them probably throughout this episode. And for all of my prep, I like to look at who is playing with who on a day-to-day basis. Also, starting goalies, you need to know. It's it, You got everything there, a bunch of other great articles. Check it out, DauberHockey.com. But, Brian, how about we get started with... I don't want to do injuries and outdoors. Yeah, I know that Eichel's injured. We'll get to it. Yeah, Shifley came back. Woo, woo, woo. But, you know, let's focus on some happy news to start. I guess Shifley coming back is obviously happy. But, okay, I want to start with some sustainable or fleeting. Let's talk about some players who are doing super well. And I'm going to ask you, are these players' productions sustainable and they're going to keep going or fleeting and you got to sell high while you've got the chance or be ready to drop the player soon? Let's start in my hometown of Toronto with the Toronto It's not your hometown. Well, I live here. It's my home. That's where my that home is. It doesn't mean your hometown. It's your place of residence. It sounds so, it sounds so formal. Place. Your adopted hometown. Sure. Okay. My. This is where my home is. It's the town 
we're gonna go to the Leafs. We're not gonna talk about the Sens today. Spoiler. Uh, Mark Stone is back, so good. Uh, Brian, do you think Mark Stone is gonna be good? Yeah, he probably will be. So okay, that's our Sens talk for today. Let's talk about the Leafs. Let's talk about Mitch Marner and Nazem Kadri, who have both been on fire since joining forces on a line together, along with Patrick Marlowe. Marner had two goals and three assists in the 6-3 win over Ottawa yesterday. And even before that, he had five points in his previous seven games with a bunch of high shots on goal games. So he's been on fire, you know, and accentuated by this five-point effort yesterday. Then you got Nazem Kadri, who had a goal and an assist yesterday. He has 11 points in his last 10 games. Both of these guys... They had super long cold streaks before these runs. I recall on the show many times over the past couple of months, or at least a couple of times, being like, Brian, is you know Mitch Marner a snoozer? Should people be thinking of dropping him? Is Nassim Kadri? He went like 10, 15 games without a point, it felt like. We were talking about whether it was time to drop him. Hopefully you didn't, or if you did, hopefully you got both of these guys back because they're on fire. But the question is, Brian, is this what we can expect to happen moving forward? Like, who are the real Mitch Marner and Nazem Kadri? These ones on hot streaks or the ones who were on, like, ice cold before? So is both of their production sustainable or fleeting? Okay, so Marner, he's coming off a couple games in which he was playing with Freddie Gauthier and Matt Martin. And then Marner finally got to step up to play with Nazem Kadri and Patrick Marlowe to help kickstart the run he's currently on. And that line upgrade for Marner also gave an upgrade to Kadri and Marlowe, who had been two-thirds of a line that was completed by Leo Komarov for nearly the entire season. So you put them all together, Kadri, Marlowe, Marner, and I'm not surprised to see some scoring success, although... Elon, I know you asked me about Marner and Kadri. This is an apt time to mention that Patrick Marlowe, before picking up three points against Ottawa, had just two points, both goals, in his last 16 games. So tough times for anyone who owns Patrick Marlowe. Consider Why, Why would you still have him? <laughs> like, that's silly. Okay. Yeah, well, I was going to say consider him a snoozer, but it's been 16 games by now, so consider yourself a snoozer if Marlowe is still on your roster. Though, I guess now you could say maybe now's time to add him since he's on the line with these two hot players. But don't be riding him long-term. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, it's okay. So, the, yeah, the question is, can Marner and Kadri continue what they're doing? The question is, can they continue playing together? Because that's certainly going to help. Marner is better served with Kadri and Marlowe than he was by, well, I mean, it was just a couple games, but then by Gauthier and Martin and Marlowe and Kadri are better served than Marner than they are by Komarov. I like the shot totals for both Marner and Kadri recently too. One item with Marner to temper your expectations, aside from him having been inconsistent for most of the year, is that three of his last five goals before the Ottawa game came on the power play, which is a good thing, but we also don't know if that's going to be enough to really keep such a sustained pace uh, if his even strength production still has not kicked into full gear while playing on a better line. Mind you, he has like he's had plenty of time with James Van Riemsdyk and Tyler Bozak this year, and that just isn't working out. Anyway, both Marno and Kadri have been streaky this year, and I'm not sure what Leafs lines are going to look like through the stretch. So just keep an eye on those. I'd probably hold them. Like I want to own them right now as long as they're scoring. If I don't know, Elon, if you think you can sell high. At this point, if you if your trade deadline hasn't passed, I would be looking to swap them out for somebody who you can count on for a 55-point pace or better. I think that would be a fair price. If not, just ride it out and see how long they can keep going for. Yawn. 55-point pace? I'd rather just have Marner or Kadri, who are both like putting up point-per-game paces right now. Like 55-point pace, who's that? Paul Mary? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I can get someone dependable who's going to consistently score and not run hot and cold... 
Yeah, I guess. I usually prefer when you give me a name, but I, I get what you're saying. I, if I were to say a number, I'd say 60 point pace or above. I'd be considering selling. 55 is like, eh. Like Paul Stasny, I guess. I'm not trading, uh, you know, Marner for Paul Stasny. Anyway, yeah, great. And obviously, like you said, you have to watch the lines. Right now, the, they're not giving the Leafs any reason to change their lines. The Leafs are doing well. They're doing well. We'll see how long Babcock keeps it together. Let's move on to a couple other players who were ice cold, just like Marner and Kadri, but are now doing things to the delight of their owners if they are still owned. I'm talking about a couple defensemen in TJ Brody and Nick Letty. So let's first talk about Brody. He put up a stretch of six assists in four games before going pointless versus the Rangers on Friday. And Brian, we actually had a big debate today because apparently he was credited with an assist at some point during that game and then it got taken away. But it seems to me, I looked at NHL.com box score, he did not get a point that game. So as of now, he has, you know, gone a couple games now without a point, but he was on that great run before that he was doing nothing. He had a point. I was looking at his game log for the season. And before that nice little run that he put up of six assists in four games, he was good for an assist every four games or so, like really just nothing reliable at all. Now that he's starting to get points again, is this the type of surge that we would expect to continue or is it just an anomaly and he's going to go back to what he was doing before? Like, are you seeing anything different in his game from this recent stretch to let us know that he can keep going or is TJ Brody going to go back to being TJ Bordy because he's boring. He's not doing anything. That was terrible. I should plan these out in advance. It took you too long to get to Bordy. I was getting it right away. Brody's five of his last six assists have been secondary. So that's his run, just getting secondary assists, which is always, you know, maybe he made a meaningful contribution on. I haven't seen, well, I'll be honest, I haven't seen any of the six goals on which he assisted, but it still makes them a little less meaningful in terms of whether he's going to be able to sustain secondary scoring numbers. He's also finally lost that top power play spot that Brody held for an inexplicably long amount of time. Brody's now actually down to getting pushed off of both power play units altogether in a couple recent games. And Elon, as you said, Brody had a great run to start the season, but I will emphasize that between then and now, I mean, you put it in a very kind way. One assist every four games. Uh, I'm going to put it another way, 12 points in 42 games. And seven of those points came from his power play time, which has not recently existed. So you might have TJ Brody on your roster now, but the moment he goes a game without a point, you can expect that to be the norm again and consider this little run the exception, fleeting production from TJ Brody. Okay, that's what I thought you would say. I guess that's what we always say about TJ Brody. When he's on a hot streak, you're always saying it's going to be fleeting. And here he is on one again. And when he's on a cold streak, you say he's a snoozer. Consistency, that's what you get for keeping Carlson. Let's see, though, what you say about a guy who is known for being consistent. They call him Steady Letty. I think he is anything but. It's the same exact story for him as TJ Brody. Like, a really good start to the year. And then he did nothing for a while. He's currently, though, riding a four-game point streak going into today. Three of those uh, four points, by the way, are power play points. He had only three assists in the 16 games before that. I should probably open up the box scores for today. Who knows? Maybe Nick Letty has already put up, like, a hat trick and, and a couple other goals. But anyway, yeah, so he was cold. Now he's hot. Same story as all the other guys. Is it going to be the same answer? Like, as I was saying, even though they call him Steady Letty, seems like he scores in spurts. I'm tempted right now to just ride out this Letty hot streak. I feel like he's shown us at least two or three times in the past couple of seasons that he could go on hot runs for like 10 games at a time before going cold. So I think it would be silly to let go of Letty now. Curious to know what you think. Oh, come on. You're not going to read what you wrote in our prep notes to lead into my answer? Sorry, if he was dropped, is it time to jump back on the surfboard for a new potential wave of points? Nice. Yeah, dude, you should totally 
hang 10 with Nick Letty. It's totally gnarly that he's back on track. And while the cold snap that Letty was on, like, was not gnarly, he's been on this season a lot more than he's been off. So I like Letty without even looking too closely at his numbers. He still gets to be part of a very dangerous top power play unit in Long Island. And if you do take a look at Letty's scoring log, you'll see that unlike Brody, Nick Letty has only one secondary assist out of the four points he's notched on his current run. And that's because Nick Letty has scored three goals. And those are primary points, everyone. If you're wondering, two power play goals for Letty on 10 shots total. Just needs two more goals this season to match his career high of 11 that he set last year. Also note that 13 of Letty's 33 points this season have come with the man advantage. And also, simultaneously, the Islanders' power play is just now getting back on track after not scoring a power play goal in 13 out of 16 games. It was a really sad run for any Islander getting power play points. And that lines up exactly with Letty's poor 16 games. But now the Isles have a power play marker in four straight and will hopefully be getting them more evenly to help Letty get his points. And finally, the only reason anyone calls him Steady Letty is because it rhymes. I don't think he's ever established a reputation for being steady. Then again, unsteady Letty also rhymes. I guess that's true, but it's not as catchy. Anyways, okay. So you're saying hang on to Letty. I agree. Speaking of the Islanders, we talked last week about how Anders Lee was moved to line two and Bavilia went up to line one. Seems like they switched back, at least in the last game. I could check live and see what they're doing today. Curious to know. Either way, it seemed to work out well for Anders Lee to get back on line one. He scored a uh, he scored a goal, I think, and he got an assist in the last couple of games. And yeah, today they're going with Bailey, Lee, and Tavares. So yeah, again, they're having B- Barzil with Bavillier and Eberly as the second line. Bavillier, by the way, he's been ice cold lately. Like Matt Barzil, his line mate, had a five assists game yesterday, or I think it was Friday, against Detroit. That crazy 7-6 to six win where they scored a whole bunch of goals on the power play at the end of the game. It was the three of those points were on the power play, but there were two even strength points. And Bavillier didn't get in on any of them. Bavillier now only has one assist in his last six games going into today. Would you still be holding on to him? Just a couple episodes ago, we were saying that Bavillier was like a must-add. He's doing so well on this line with Barzil, and now he's still on that line. Like The situation is the same, but the points aren't coming. So I guess that, that comes to the philosophy of fantasy hockey, right? Do you, How much do you depend on just what's happened in the last couple of weeks? Or should we like, like, it seems like rationally, we should just say, we liked him before, nothing's changed. Why would we change our mind just because he's cold? Yeah, that's it, right? Beauvillier is still getting the minutes. He's still got the line mates, but not many shots. And as you said, no points. If you can afford to be patient for as long as he stays in the top six, keeps these minutes, keeps these line mates, I think he could make it worth your while again. He just did. He can again. We decided that like he was a must own and then a must must own and then the mustest own. So he climbed all those mountains And it seems too soon to just give up when nothing in his deployment has really changed. But certainly consider Beauvillier on the bubble of your roster if you're looking to stream in more current contributors and like he is one of your bottom guys. Otherwise, I would would preach patience. Give him another week. And hey, actually, Bavillier just scored a goal. I'm looking at the box score now. Assisted by Nick Letty. So he keeps on going. And of course, assisted by Matt Barzel, who gets a ton of points. By the way, it's M-A-T-H-E-W, Matthew. That's not how you spell Matthew. He's missing a T. But that, you know, that could be for another podcast. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, at least. Also, by the way, on the Islanders, Johnny Boychuk returned from an injury finally on Friday. He was out forever. He fi- And he was skating with the team forever. Also, he finally came back. He was on the top D unit with Nick Letty, but he had a quiet game. No points. He had two shots for 
hits, which is great. No blocks, which is disappointing because I have him in a couple, which doesn't count hits, only counts blocks. He today doesn't look like he's doing much of anything again. Like I was enjoying, he was he's plus one. So I guess he was on the ice for one of these two goals. But yeah, no shots, no blocks. Like I was really enjoying Boychuk before he got injured. He was such a consistent source of shots. Like he was giving me like four or five shot games very consistently and also a good, uh, you know, producer of blocks. So he was giving me everything but the points. But I thought it was worth it. It seems like, well, I guess it's too early to tell, right? Like, what do you think about Boychuk? Is he worth holding in most leagues for peripherals? Or do you think that it's time for him to go to free agency until he proves once again that he's worth owning? Same story as always. Grab him for a good shot at peripherals. If you're looking for points, you might be able to find better options. Okay, so let's go to another team. Let's go to the Edmonton Oilers and talk about a guy who, you know, Connor McDavid, I think he might be listening to Keeping Carlson. I think he might be a listener because if you recall last episode, we were going through the Art Ross race the number of points a bunch of players had. And I said, maybe regrettably so, I said, it's going to be tough for Connor McDavid to catch up. He was 10 points back and he had 11 points his last 10 games and still he wasn't making up any ground just because everyone ahead of him was doing so well. I said, I don't know, it might be tough for Connor McDavid to win the Art Ross this year. He like then the next day on Monday put up four goals and one assist versus Tampa on Monday, cut the deficit in half. He was only five points away. He then had a goal and an assist versus LA on Wednesday. Then he had an assist versus Anaheim on Friday. Nothing yesterday. But yeah, at that episode, he was 10 points back of Kucherov with a bunch of guys in between. Now he's tied for fourth in league scoring with Stamkos and Voracek with 64 points, only five back. So obviously I was dumb to count McDavid out. And Ryan is pointing out in the chat room here. By the way, we're live. We've got a chat room. It's a lot of fun. If you ever want to join us, keepingcarlson.com slash live. But yeah, on our patron-only Facebook group, people were roasting me being like, what are you talking about? And obviously it helped that everyone had the evidence of this five-point game that was developing as they were telling me how dumb I was for a second. By the way, Brian agreed with me, to be fair. But anyways, you know, saying that I should have never counted McDavid out. And I guess they were right. There's still a bit of ground to be made. But yeah, Connor McDavid, he's amazing. And one guy benefiting from all these points is a guy I didn't expect to be talking about much this season on the podcast. But Mike Camilleri has been his linemate recently. And he was with him and Drysaddle for three straight one-assist games early last week. Then, and I streamed him, and then he got healthy scratched on Friday. So it was very surprising and annoying that a guy who was on a three-game point streak gets scratched. Then he came back on Saturday on a new line with Lucic and Dreisaitl, and he put up two assists. So all of a sudden, Mike Camilleri is riding a four-game point streak with a healthy scratch in between. And you don't see that too often. But anyways, Brian, does the 35-year-old Mike Camilleri still have the ability to keep this run sustainable or should he be streamed out even while on this run just because he's no longer on the McDavid line? Like playing with Dreisaitl is, of course, really good. Lucic seems like a total snoozer, actually. But yeah, what do you think about Mike Camilleri? Does he have anything left in the tank? Or was that run just something that was nice and we're not going to see it continue for sure? I saw a list made by Low Tide over at The Athletic of all Oilers forwards and how they rank playing away from McDavid in terms of points per 60. And Camilleri is one of the worst producing Oilers forwards when playing away from Connor McDavid. My main thought is that this recent run for Camilleri, maybe this just gets another playoff team interested in buying him from the Oilers before the deadline. But Camilleri without McDavid is not someone who interests me. Keep in mind, he's also played a bunch with Jujar Kyra. So even if you're consoling yourself by saying, well, he's still with Dreisaitl, doesn't mean he's going to stay there. I wouldn't get any more invested in Camilleri than I would in any other player who gets that temporary bump from playing with Connor McDavid, like Drake Kajula or whoever. Although maybe I would take Camilleri a little bit higher than Drake Kajula. Hmm, I don't know. 
I guess we'll see. But so you're saying now that Kemler is not with McDavid, even though he's with Dreisaitl, you'd probably be dropping him unless, you know, you could hold on and wait till he goes pointless. But I think very likely that will be the next game. For the record, McDavid in the last game was playing with Pugliarvi and Maroon on the top line, but that will likely shift the Oilers' loss. They shift things around even when they win. So who knows what will happen for the next game. You always got to check the line combinations at DabberHockey.com if you want to know who to take on the Oilers. Speaking of Kucherov, who I said is leading the Art Ross race, he went on a bit of a cold run recently. He had points in only two of eight games. One of those was a three-assist game, so his overall numbers didn't look as bad. But still, that's pretty weak when you have six out of eight games pointless for the league's leading scorer, Nikita Kucherov. But he's gotten back on track recently. He had two assists versus Vancouver last Saturday. Nothing versus Edmonton on Monday, but then he had a goal and an assist game versus Vancouver on Thursday. A goal yesterday versus LA. So Kucherov is Kucherov. We're not going to spend too much time talking about him. He's obviously amazing. The Lions in Tampa, though, keep getting shaken up. We keep seeing new iterations that we need to discuss. And right now, it seems like there's some people really benefiting from playing with Kucherov that weren't with him before. It looks like the top line has been Kucherov with Alex Killorn, a name we haven't mentioned on the podcast in a while, and then Braden Point. And then the second line, or maybe the first line, I don't know, the other line, has been Stamkos with Tyler Johnson and Yanni Gourd. So, okay, let's look at the winners and losers here. One big winner is Alex Killer. And like I said, not only gets in the top six, but he's also been on the top power play with Kucherov, Nemesnikov, Stamkos, and Hedman. And Killorn is, you know, earning that production. And he's also reaping the rewards of, of playing on that great line. He had a huge five-point game versus Calgary last week. That's the theme of this episode. So many five-point games recently. But anyways, he's now also riding a three-game point streak. Killorn might be in free agency in a lot of leagues still. He's in free agency in a lot of my leagues, but I feel like he must be worth a stream while he's playing with Kucherov on the top line and on the top power play, right? A hundred percent. Alex Killorn is worth a stream. He's been one of the better Tampa complimentary forwards of recent years, even before it was cool to be in the top six in Tampa. Like I'm more into streaming him in a great deployment situation than I was into streaming someone like Chris Kunitz from the same place. So yeah, go get Killorn. Okay, and then Killorn, not the only winner. So we also have Yanni Gourd, whose amazing run continues, and he just keeps getting bumped up the lineup. Like, he started his hot run on the third line. Now he's playing with Steven Samko. So why won't it continue, right? He has a five-game point streak right now, 11 points in his last nine games. He's up to 41 points in 55 games on the season, which, for those of you who want to do the math with me, that's a 61-point pace. Not a bad rookie season for Yanni Gourd at all. He's actually currently third in rookie scoring, I'm assuming behind Brock Besser and Matt Barzla. I don't think I have to look that one up. But yeah, also, linemate Tyler Johnson with Stamkos and Gourd. He's on a three-game point streak himself. He's up to 42 points, so he's pretty much having the same season as Gourd in terms of total points. Right, we had a big discussion recently. I don't even know how it came up, but for some reason, we were debating about Gourd versus Tyler Johnson. This is what Brian and I text each other about late on like Thursday nights for some reason. Anyways, uh, what's your answer here? I went with Yanni Gourd just because he's on a really good hot streak and you thought that was crazy. So maybe it is crazy. What do you think? Johnson versus Gourd. I didn't, I don't know that I said it was crazy, but I did express surprise. And by the way, I, I want to dial back to, were you trying to drag me down on your McDavid take with you? I just said that I think you agreed with me. Come on. All right. Well, you don't, you disagree that you agreed with me? Is that not the truth? I mean, we we have tape that we can check, although I'd rather believe that I'm just right and that I appropriately distant. Maybe I said he was not likely to win the race, but I, I feel like we still acknowledge he was a threat. Okay, back to Gord and Tyler Johnson. I also, I didn't say he has 0% chance of winning the game. That's what I way. remember you saying. I'm pretty sure I said that he's going to have to do better than 11 points every 10 games if he wants to catch up. If I remember correctly, you said Connor McDavid is over. 
I said, Connor McDavid is terrible. Drop him in all of your leagues unless you can't find someone who's going to give you more reliable production than 11 points every 10 games. 50 plus points is what you would drop to try and trade him for. Sell high. Uh, Okay, Gord Johnson. I will take the guy who has scored 70 points before and who has shown more staying power in the Tampa top six. And that's Tyler Johnson. If anyone isn't putting those pieces together, not to take anything away from Yanni Gord. He reached a 20 goal mark Thursday night in Vancouver, having a heck of a season, also shooting above 20% and has an on ice shooting percentage above 11%. So there are two reasons to expect this not to keep up for Yanni Gord, along with the possibility of dropping out of the top six, even though I know he seemed somewhat unbothered by that before. Should, like for balance, I should mention, Tyler Johnson's IPP is higher than it should be, but I'm working out his regression to be less of a damper than Yanni Gord's. Okay, either way, you're probably happy to have both. Tyler Johnson was a bit cold recently, but now he's looking good. He's on a good line. Why do you have to compare them? If you have one of them, you're happy that you have him and you're going to hold on. Yanni Gord, though, definitely a surprising rookie season. And it's like a late surge to all of a sudden maybe get into Calder discussion, obviously not to win, but maybe to be a nominee. It'd be fun to have that discussion. On the other end of the spectrum on Tampa, what's going on with Mikhail Sergachev, Brian? He had those two healthy scratch games a couple weeks ago. I remember we talked about it on the podcast. That was when Victor Hedman was injured. When, like, To even go back earlier, when Hedman got injured, we were saying you have to rush to add Mikhail Sergachev because he's now the top power play quarterback on the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the most potent power plays out there. And little did we know that not only would he get healthy scratched during that stretch, but then even with Hedman back, he's become pretty much nothing. Like he has two assists in his last six games. He's been seeing less than 17 minutes of time on ice most nights. I'm talking about Sergeyev here. At this point, Brian, is he a snoozer in one-year leagues? Like I'm sure he has a great pedigree. We know he is. He got traded for Jonathan Druin after all. But in terms of just this year, moving forward for the rest of the year, do you see any reason to hold on, hoping he get back to those great numbers he was putting up early in the season? It seems as though perhaps Mikhail Sergachev is still on a learner's permit with John Cooper after having to sit out a couple games and watch from the press box. And honestly, if you're really trying to figure out where Sergachev's relevance lies, uh, he hasn't been a relevant fantasy contributor since mid-December. So like two months now when he had a lovely yet unsustainable run. So you may have already been snoozing if Sergeyev is on your roster at this point, unless your league is so deep at D that Sergeyev's upside is enough reason to hold on to a spot while his points have gone on hiatus. And Elon, before we move on, I have one more snoozer on Tampa that you're probably going to say. We've already mentioned this. Okay, go ahead. Vladislav Nemesnikov, just a little update on him if we have called him a snoozer recently. He is pointed in just four of his last 17 games. He's put up a few multi-point nights, but still not enough to be clinging to unless, again, your league is deep enough that holding him for upside is actually a viable strategy for you. If you need help in the immediate future, I don't know, he still has okay deployment, so maybe he can get some of it for you, but he's certainly not doing what he did for you in the first 25 games or so of the year. Yeah, and his deployment, I don't know. He's playing on, I guess, the third line with a guy named Adam Ernie and another guy named Corey Conacher, who I know at some point we thought was a big deal when he got traded to the Sens. I'm pretty sure on this podcast we didn't, we never said he was a big deal, but I guess someone thought it was a big deal. Wasn't he traded for Ben Bishop at some point? Yeah, straight up. Well, Ben Bishop kind of stinks too, even though he, he got blown up today. I know you're, you've been telling me that actually I should look closer and Ben Bishop's actually having a pretty decent year. And I actually made, I think, a pretty good comparison. I said that Ben Bishop is maybe like a little better, but similar to Cam Ward. 
this year. Like someone who could go on nice hot runs, but if you have him, you're always afraid that he's going to blow up your numbers. Is that, is that silly or is it, do you think it's an apt comparison? Or am I just too far off the beaten path and you want me to get back to the Tampa Bay Lightning? I feel like you're a little bit off. Like Bishop is one of the leaders in starting goalies this year in high danger save percentage. I think he's had a really underappreciated season, namely because he does blow up from time to time. And Carrie Lettinen has come in and been a formidable number two. But I think uh, I think you're not giving Ben Bishop quite the credit he's due. Although uh, okay. it was definitely a lopsided trade. Like Tampa getting Ben Bishop for Corey Conacher, they won that deal hands down. Yeah, that's a shame. Anyways, just to say, Nemestikov, not great deployment and even strength, still on that top power play, like I said. So that's pretty great to play with Killorn and Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman. So it's always possible that Nemestikov will give you a point in the game, but I agree with you, Brian. Probably a snoozer. I would definitely take any Gourd over him at this point. I don't think that's even up for discussion. And Brian, by the way, we were talking about Sergachev. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but remember in our joint league, I'm sort of like the main manager of the league, and then you're sort of like more the advisor because I know you're very busy. You're busy guy. Got a lot of stuff going on. Anyway, so I was talking trade recently. You gave me the okay, and as you know, we ended up trading a couple draft or like a really late draft pick for Jared Spurgeon. I feel like it was an amazing deal. But when I made that trade for Spurgeon, my other option was. Was Mikhail Sergachev. The guy had both of them, and he said, which one do you want? And I didn't think hard about it. I went with Spurgeon because, you know what? Jared Spurgeon is underrated, and I don't get why. Like, I'm happy to report I definitely made the right choice. While Sergachev, like we said, is doing nothing, Spurgeon is on a five-game point streak. He even put up five blocks yesterday in the 3 nothing win over Chicago. So Spurgeon's giving you the points. He's giving you the blocks. He's amazing. He's currently on a 52-point pace, which is really good for a defenseman. And I still feel like we often get questions on Twitter and on our Facebook group. We're like, oh, should I drop this guy for this guy? And then I ask, oh, well, who are the other defensemen available? Just so I can get the context of like what's the value of these players. And then they list like a bunch of nobodies. And then Jared Spurgeon's name is just in the list. I'm like, no, just pick up Spurgeon. He's great. He's on the top power play on Minnesota. He gets great ice time. Like I said, he even gives you peripherals. Like, why is he so underrated? And Brian, do you think he can keep putting up this 50-point pace for the rest of the season? I don't really see why not. Like, what's the reason to expect him to drop off? There really isn't a reason to expect him to drop off. First off, Elon, I was not aware that Sergeyev was the other choice. So thank you very much for making the right one. As for why Jared Spurgeon is underrated, well, Jared Spurgeon is underrated because his career high going into the season was 38 points. Jared Spurgeon is also underrated because he's got no pedigree. He was drafted in the sixth round, 156 overall by the Islanders all the way back in 2008. That's Eric Carlson's draft year to put that in perspective for how long he's been, well, eligible to play in the NHL and just making his mark now. And Jared Spurgeon was also looking more or less like a journeyman to last season when he did set that 38 point career high. Another uh, satellite fact that might have hurt him was his brother Tyler never made it out of the AHL before heading to Austria to play pro hockey so maybe that was a mark on him but here is Jared Spurgeon representing the Spurgeons well posting a very sustainable looking 51 point full season pace although he has missed time so it comes out to 46 points in 73 games if he stays perfectly on track which I think he's got a good shot of doing yeah, I'm sure all these fantasy poolies are like, oh, wait, that's the brother of that Tyler Spurgeon guy. Oh, no, I don't I don't want him. Okay, good point. Yeah, also in the chat room, Dave is mentioning Spurgeon is a beast, underrated because he's not a solo power play quarterback. Yeah, like most players, when they're the top power play quarterback, you're like, that's the top power play quarterback. But Minnesota goes with two defensemen there, so he's there with Suter. So, yeah, that's another reason why maybe he doesn't get as much of a spotlight. Another guy on Minnesota I want to bring up is Zach Parisi. Brian, he started slow after coming back from his injury. I don't recall if we said that people couldn't forget about him or not. Anyways, I'm 
I'm sure a lot of people did. I know you dropped him after holding him in the cupful for a long time, though I think you might have added him back. So you can let me know in your answer here. Anyways, he's really heated up lately. He has three straight one assist games. He's also back to averaging a ton of shots, like over three shots a game easy. The downside, when you look at his deployment, like Zach Parisi shouldn't really be getting that many points considering he's playing on a line with Coyle and Matt Cullen, who I didn't even recall was on Minnesota, but there he is. And also he's getting second power play time. So that's pretty good. I, I guess it's okay. He's playing with Eric Stahl on that second power play. So it's a pretty good unit. Anyways, what's your thought on Zach Parisi right now? Like we talked last episode about a bunch of players who are really great for shots, but not super reliable for points, including Evander Kane and Jeff Skinner, both guys who actually scored goals yesterday. So maybe we, you know, anti-jinx them, as we like to say, just like I did for Connor McDavid. Anyways, how would you rank Parisi with guys like that? Underneath them, the upside just isn't there for Zach Parise, but still a very viable stream option. When you need shots and a chance at a point, you can give him a go. I have a couple times. You have him right now? No, but I did have him like within the last 10 days. Oh man, are you downplaying him so that you can maybe try to get him soon? Get him back? No, no room. My roster's too good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sure I would I would definitely, by the way, go and try to add him if he was available in my couple division. He never has been since the draft. Okay, Brian. I really blew it with segueing here because we were talking about Tampa Bay and then we went to Minnesota, but really I should have right after Tampa Bay taken a break to thank one of our sponsors for this week's episode, our friends over at SeatGeek. And you want to know why? Want to be jealous? Why? Because I'm going tomorrow to a hockey game of the Leafs versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm very excited. And guess what? I'm going to learn so much about hockey and about fancy hockey. I'm going to see with my eyes who's actually better between the Mesnikov and Yanni Gourd and Tyler Johnson and all of these guys because I'm there live seeing the action. And as everyone knows, that's the best way to enjoy sports is live. You see everything that's going on. And the best way to get tickets to these types of games is with our friends over at SeatGeek. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, you need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. It's fully guaranteed. You are not going to get ripped off because it's fully guaranteed, okay? There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or a musician in person. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. You can even sort by value. That's a really good feature. Another great feature that I like about their app, by the way, very nice app, easy to use. And also the price they tell you as you're browsing, that's the actual final price. No hidden fees at the end. I hate that so much. And you know what? You're going to get the opposite than a hidden fee. You're going to get a hidden bonus, like a hidden rebate, because SeatGeek is giving a special offer to listeners of Keeping Carlson. Brian, why don't you tell them all about it? How they can find their way to the game tomorrow at, not Maple Leaf Gardens, Air Canada Center, and hang out with me and my brother watching Leafs versus Tampa. Can Is that part of the deal? Yeah, I mean, it might be tough for you to find the seat right beside me. I don't know if that particular seat is available, but I'd be happy to meet up at the intermission. Just tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let me know you're there. Tell me what section. We'll go hang out. Which seat is the seat beside you? You know what? I don't know. My brother messaged me and asked if I want to go, and I did not ask what the seat was. That's a jerk move. If he's like 300 section, then I'll say, nah, I don't want to go. Okay, this is the bonus you were talking about. Our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code KEEPING today. That's promo code KEEPING for you to get $20 American off of your first SeatGeek purchase. And Elon, as for your segue... I definitely thought you were telling me you were going to Tampa Bay. Oh, that would have been pretty cool. It's a nice yeah. place. Go Next time you should you should book a plane ticket to an exotic location to set up the Seat Geek spot. And then I can expense that to the podcast. Perfect. Which, Wait, no. Yeah, I don't even know what that what expense it just means that Brian has to pay for half of it out of <laughs> Yeah, <that's> all. 
Okay, hey, worth it. It would be a really good advertisement. Anyways, let's move on now to some injuries. We got a lot to get to still. We got injuries. We got some outjuries. Then we've got a whole segment we're going to have. Again, let's reset. Pete Jensen from NHL.com, a senior writer, a big senior, big deal guy, Pete Jensen, on our Little Nothing podcast. How about that? How far have we come? But that's still going to be in around 20 minutes. So let's get through some of these injuries. Of course, the big one that I didn't feel like starting the episode with. I normally would. didn't feel like it. Let's talk about it now. Jack Eichel. Oh my gosh, he got hurt yesterday. He was crashed into by Boston's. I didn't even look up how to pronounce this. I'm just going to give it a go. Matt Greshelchik? Greshelchik? Greshelchik. I'm going to say Greshelchik. Does that sound right? I'm loading the pronunciation guide as you speak. Anyway, this guy sucks because he hurt Jack Eichel, and that's hurting <laughs> a lot of people in fantasy. He has a high ankle sprain. Out. Well, they said out indefinitely. I think I saw four to six weeks just pop up on my like the score app right before we started recording this episode. Anyways, that sucks. That's going to go into the fantasy playoffs for the league that I have him in. So I have to come up with completely new plans. Anyways, obviously, if you have Jack Eichel, it's terrible. I don't know. Maybe one of the players we talk about on this episode is someone you could go and grab out of free agency. Maybe you could grab, uh, I don't know, who'd we talk about? Yanni Gourd, if he's available. He's probably not. I don't know. You're screwed. It sucks. But there's other players who probably are hurt by this. Like we, Eichel was propping up a lot of fantasy values, or so it seemed. Maybe they could prove us wrong. But like Sam Reinhart, for example... That's got to suck. We've been saying for the past couple of weeks, maybe now's a great time to grab Sam Reinhardt because he's on the Eichel line and he's on the top power play with Eichel. He's on a huge roll. He's got 12 points in his last 10 games. But like I said, he's been playing with Eichel. So I can't imagine it'll be easy for him to keep this up. Or maybe he can. Like it in that game yesterday where Eichel got injured, it looks like Reinhardt moved up to a line with O'Reilly and Evander Kane. And then the guy who maybe then gets hurt the most is Kyle Ocposo, who got bumped from that line to make room for Reinhardt. Then Ocposo was playing with Jordan Nolan and Jacob Josephson. So that would be terrible for Ocposo to go from the top line to a line with these two nobodies. Of course, who knows who's in the middle of a game. I'm sure Phil Housley will take the time to come up with very great, amazing line combinations for the next game. That will help everybody. But probably not. Someone's going to be screwed. Probably the only person who benefits from this is maybe Evander Kane, who got onto the top power play in Eichel's absence at least yesterday. We'll see if he can hold that spot. I don't know. Aside from that, like it could even be bad for like a Ryan O'Reilly who doesn't play on the same line as him. He's on the top power play with him, but you know, maybe now the other teams have the line that they could focus their best defenders on to avoid letting in goals. So it seems horrible for everyone. Like what's your take in general on this injury? Do you think there's still value in guys like Reinhardt and Ocposo or now is it time to just start freaking out and going crazy because Jack Eichel is injured and now everyone's going to suck? Well, I can tell you Buffalo has scored twice on Jonathan Bernier in two periods of play in their first Eichel list game, but I'm afraid that all Sabres could be a casualty of Eichel's injury here. He's a big part of Buffalo's scoring. Before Eichel made his season debut last year, remember, he missed the first couple months of the season recovering from a high ankle sprain on the leg that he did not injure this time around. The Sabres scored just 1.8 goals per game while waiting for him to make his season debut last year. After he did, they jumped up to a 2.6 goals per game rate. Not to say that there weren't other factors at play in how many goals Buffalo was scoring and if it went beyond Eichel. And like you're looking at a sample of 20 games versus 60 games, but this is where I'm starting anyway to try and figure out how Eichel being out of the lineup affects the Sabres scoring. This year so far, the Sabres are scoring 2.3 goals per game. So yeah, I'm wondering if that number drops and there are even fewer goals to get in on for Sabres forwards and defensemen. Like, this could hurt someone like Rasmus Ristolainen, too. Don't just look at the forwards. And Risto, by the way, saw his point streak snapped, followed by four straight games without one. Uh, now he has two in a row, 
I don't know if he's gotten one tonight. As much as any of the forwards you've mentioned above, he is someone to be concerned with in terms of the Buffalo Sabres not providing as much goal-scoring opportunities to get points on. Yeah, it seems like maybe their best opportunity to get points will be to go shorthanded. They actually have two shorthanded goals today against Colorado, and Ryan O'Reilly has assists on both of them. So good for him, but bad overall for a lot of Sabres. We'll have to wait and see how this shakes out. Maybe we could bring them up again on a future episode. As far as Evander Kane goes, he's someone we already talked about recently. He's potentially going to get traded. We've gotten into all that, but... Got to be nice to get on the top power play, though he was playing on a good line before. So we'll have to see if maybe he benefits. If you were like desperately clinging on to Evander Kane, but getting close to the point where you were going to drop him because he was cold, he scored yesterday. And now if he's getting top power play time, maybe a reason to hang on a little longer. Uh, so more injuries. Let's talk about Patrick Hornfist. I think I mentioned last week that he was injured, but since then he's been designated as week to week. So he's going to be out for a little while. And a couple of penguins who are likely available in your league have stepped up in his absence and are worth taking a look at. There's Carl Haglin. He's been playing on a line with Kessel and Malkin, two of the top players in the league. And he's definitely been reaping the rewards. He has six points in his last six games, or at least before today. I didn't put today's uh, stats into these numbers. I know that Pittsburgh lost to what, Winnipeg, I think. Maybe I should get this ready. Oh, no, they lost to St. Louis, 4-1. to one. No, they beat St. Louis, 4-1. to one. Great. Oh, and the next guy I was going to bring up, Brian Rust. He had himself a game. He had a goal and an assist. I was going to say Brian Rust is up playing with Sidney Crosby. That was, I think, Hornquist's spot before he got injured. So great news for Brian Rust. He was on a nice run until uh, last week he went quiet. That's because Crosby went pointless in two games so if Crosby goes pointless all of his linemates are obviously gonna go pointless as well but Crosby had a good game today and of course Brian Rust did as well so those guys are good Dominic Simone also got a point today so overall some players interesting on Pittsburgh what do you think Brian between like Carl Hagelin and Brian Rust one playing with Crosby one playing with Malkin and Kessel if you wanted to stream a Penguin for next week would one of those guys interest you and if so which one the Penguins play Tuesday Friday Sunday next week so it could be a good sneaky late week ad you know those off days on the Friday Sunday day you wait till friday morning you're gonna get two games and you could drop someone who's playing on saturday only that wasn't even going to get in your lineup because so many players are playing both rust and Haglin could be great options because of that for your lineup i'd have considered saying Haglin over rust before rust put up those two points and four shots that he did today so now i'm gonna say brian rust and that's how close it is between them i think what you want to do is keep an eye on shots because Neither guy, Haglin or Rust, may be all that dependable for points, but Haglin is more dependable for shots, though the trade-off is that he has less chance of getting a point. So weight those pros and cons as you please for whatever categories you're targeting. If you want to guarantee yourself some shots, Haglin, points, I go Rust. Okay, next injury. Let's talk about Ryan McDonough. He's day-to-day with an upper body injury. We don't know exactly how long he'll be out for, but it's very interesting to consider who benefits in his absence. Shattenkirk is also already out. So when Shattenkirk got injured, we said grab McDonough, who's going to be the top power play defenseman. Now he's out. It looks like Brady Shea has taken over top power play duties. At least he did on Friday. And today he assisted on Zibanejad's game-winning power play goal in the third versus Calgary on Friday. And then Shea also got an assist today. So I feel like it's Shea's job as the top power play defenseman. Some people on our Facebook group are bringing up Anthony D'Angelo as a potential top unit guy, but right now it's Brady Shea. So I'm curious, Brian, how urgently would you want the top power play defenseman on the Rangers, who's currently Brady Shea, while McDonough is out? When Shattenkirk got injured, we said rush to grab McDonough. Are we saying the exact same thing now about Brady Shea? Like the, I guess, argument against doing that is that the Rangers look like kind of a train wreck right now. All this talk about the team's going to get blown up, but still the top power play unit, at least. You got Zibanejad, Zuccarello, JT Miller, Rick Nash. Seems pretty good. Get some points there. So what do you think about Brady Shea? Should people be rushing to grab him now that he's got this new role? 
There's a little less emphasis in wanting to grab Brady Shea than there was in Ryan McDonough, just because we haven't seen him totally thrive in a power play quarterback role before. But that said, I will take Brady Shea if he's power play quarterback, and I'll take whoever is the power play quarterback in New York because they still have enough to make up a pretty solid first unit that can put up points. Like I would take the Rangers, like say it's Brady Shea, I'm just going to use his name as a placeholder. I would take him not over... Nicoletti, but I would definitely take him over TJ Brody, maybe even over Sergachev, especially if McDonough's day-to-day status turns into something more. Anthony D'Angelo was getting good reviews for his game today too, and I could see him getting some reps before long, but for today it was Brady Shea, so that's the one you want, unless you feel brave enough to predict Alan Vigneault switching to Anthony D'Angelo. If you can call that move, then go ahead and call your shot. I mean, the Rangers won today, so I don't think there'll be any changes, at least in the short term. By the way, Andre Pavlik is going to be out two to three weeks with a sprained MCL, so I know who cares. The Rangers called up a guy named Alexander Georgiev, and so I guess he's the new backup behind Lungfist. Curious, Brian, is like, who is this guy? Does he have any pedigree? Is he someone that might be good for a spot start if and when he does get a game? Like, Lungfist had been struggling. He had a good game today, though, so maybe they'll just ride Lungfist as they've done in the past. But just in general, any sense of who Alexander Georgiev is and if he's like a total risk to play in like a daily format at least, or is he just nothing? Anyone's a risk to play in their first ever NHL start with really a very little of a resume to go on. Georgiev, like, yeah, I'm not expecting to see a whole lot of him. Undrafted Russian, turned 22 yesterday. So happy belated birthday, Alexander Georgiev. He's in his first pro North American season after putting up good numbers for Turku in the SM Liga over the last few seasons. He's so far put up a 908 and 31 appearances for AHL Hartford. One interesting note about Georgiev, he's small for a goalie, listed at just six feet, 167 pounds. As of a couple of years ago, no goalie shorter than six foot one had ever played in more than 38 NHL games. So there's that. That's interesting. I feel like the fact that Andre Pavlik has the backup job on the Rangers and like, you know, the Rangers had the option to play this Georgiev guy and they said, no, we want Pavlik in this role. That tells me all I need to know about Georgiev or maybe the Rangers management, one or the other. Okay. A couple more goalie injuries. Brian Elliott suffered a lower body injury in the shootout yesterday versus Arizona. I read that's apparently the first ever goalie injury in the shootout that has happened. Like a goalie won a game when he came in in the shootout. Neuverth came in, he won the game. First time it ever happened. Pretty cool. Anyways, we don't know yet at least as far as I know, as we're recording, how long Brian Elliott will be out. But just in case, Brian, should people be rushing to add McCall Neuverth in the short term? Neuverth, he's not having the best season. He only has a 9-11 save percentage. He's played 17 games. But Philly is a decent team. They're fighting for the playoffs. I feel like their starting goalie could be in line for some wins. That said, last time Elliott was injured, Alex Lyon ended up getting a couple of games in a row. Granted, they were both terrible games, so I see no reason for the Flyers to go back to him. I feel like it's going to be Neuvert's net. So what do you think? Is he worth adding, or is he going to blow people up? Well, the last time Elliott was injured, it seemed as though Michael Neuvert got in the net, didn't do well, and then Alex Lyon didn't do well either, but then they started him again out of spite for Michael Neuvert. It wasn't to reward him with another start. It was just like, Neuvert is not... Like, he's had all this time in Philadelphia to earn his keep. Still not reliable. So why not throw Alex Lyon in there? And for that reason, I don't know that Michael Neuvert is the sure shot starter. I think he's going to have to earn starts. That said, I don't think Alex Lyon has shown that he's, like, automatically going to steal any from Neuverth. So if you're looking for a number one goalie, if you think, well, Elliot out, you're going to have Neuverth, I would just say maybe put a pause on that and watch how Neuverth does for the first couple games. Well, Brian, for our joint league, 
which doesn't count save percentage or anything like that. It's just you have a goalie and you get points if they win games and you get some points for saves. I rushed to grab Neuvers just because it's so hard to find goalies and I was happy to get him. Not to say I'm wishing ill on Brian Elliott, but it wouldn't hurt for us to have the top goalie on Philly. So I'm going to roll the dice. I knew that someone would take Neuvers. Like, you know, it'd be nice to have the option to wait and see who gets more games, but by then he'd probably get taken. So you have to obviously weigh your league and see if you could afford to wait or if you need to rush to grab a call Neuvers. Maybe your league mates don't even know. Maybe they went to sleep before that shootout ended. Anyway, uh, since we're on Philly, is it finally time to start paying attention to Nolan Patrick? He didn't do much at the start of the year. Obviously, he was drafted second overall, a lot of hype going into this season, but he wasn't doing much. But lately, he's been playing on line two with Simmons and Voracek, a great place to be. And he has four points in his last six games, which isn't like, you know, amazing, but definitely pretty good. Nothing in his last two games, but he's taking a lot of shots. Nolan Patrick, I feel like maybe he could be approaching the fantasy radar if he's not there yet people maybe want to be looking at him but what do you think yeah i think you could look at nolan patrick he also had 13 shots in three games before going shotless at arizona in the most recent outing patrick had four shots in less than 12 minutes versus montreal too so have one eye on him for sure could be worth a stream in some formats especially same reason you mentioned Hagelin and Rust with Pittsburgh schedule this week, Elon. Philadelphia also plays Friday and Sunday, and Nolan Patrick could make a great streamer then. Yeah, it's nice for Philly to have two really good lines. Obviously, we've talked to death about the Couturier and Giroux and Travis Konechny line, and now the second line. Why not grab the sixth piece of that top six? All the rest are worth owning, right? And plus, they have two good defensemen in Ghost Bear and Provorov. Man, this team, if only they got some goaltending... I don't know if they're going to get it from Neuwirth, but interesting to see. Anyways, okay, one more goalie injury to talk about. Then we're going to thank a friend of the show, and then we're finally going to bring on Pete Jensen. Like I said, the senior fantasy editor at NHL.com. You don't get better credentials than that, and we're going to have him on our show. Very exciting. But first, one more goalie injury, another one that probably doesn't matter much, just like the Pavlik one. But, you know, for completeness sake, let's mention that Malcolm Subban was put on IR in Vegas, triggering a Maxim Lagasse call-up. So, you know, just FYI, you know, Vegas is a very good team. And I'd imagine Lagasse will also be good for a spot start when he plays. Like, he wasn't amazing, but he wasn't terrible when he took the job when all the Vegas goalies were injured earlier in the year. So something to take note of. You don't even really need to comment on that. One thing I do want to get you to comment on regarding Vegas, Shea Theodore, he's a snoozer now, right? Like, he's playing less than five games, getting less than 20 minutes a game. I know, like, people were excited about him when he finally got onto the team earlier, and he's had little spurts of production, but doesn't seem worth holding on to and owning in a one-year league. Obviously, in the future, he might be really great, but for now, kind of looking like a Sergachev to me. Yeah, that's a pretty good comparison. While he's not doing anything for you, like he's been regularly inconsistent, not putting up any huge peripherals. In fact, on Vegas, there aren't a lot of guys on the blue line who are contributing. You have to go down to 18th in the league to find your first Vegas defenseman. For a team that's scoring that many goals, it's odd that one guy is not getting in on it more. And that guy is Colin Miller, who's gotten in the most 12 points in 54 games. Then you have to keep going down to 38th in the league where you'll find Brad Hunt with eight points in just 30 games. So his pace is better than his point total, but he's done very little lately. He had a run like a little while ago that got him to where he is. So, uh, yeah. Wait, wait, Brian, what are these numbers? Eight points is good for second on Vegas? Power play points. Oh, I see. Key, key point. Power (laughs) play points. Yes. Yeah, Nate Schmidt has 25 points for what it's worth. If you really wanted to own a defenseman on Vegas right now, who would it even be? I feel like it's maybe Nate Schmidt, right? Like he seems at least somewhat consistently reliable to give you a point every two, at least three games. I guess so. 
I, or Colin Miller, one of those guys. Yeah. Or Shay Colin Norton. Miller puts more shots on net, so that helps. Okay. Anyway, yeah, it is kind of funny. Like, this team has so many fantasy-relevant forwards and maybe no fantasy-relevant defensemen. Okay, Brian, though, a lot of these guys might be worth owning. Like I said, Maxime Lagasse might be worth grabbing for a single game, but you don't want to own him. So you listen to this podcast, you're like, oh, I kind of want to take advantage of this new information that I just learned that Maxime Lagasse would be worth owning for a game, except my league has limited ad drops. So what should I do? Well, I'll tell you what you could do. You could play daily fantasy hockey with our sponsor for this week's episode. Those are our friends over at FanDuel. FanDuel is so much fun. Guys, you play daily fantasy hockey. You get a new team every day. You pick new players to join your team, and you could play for that day. You see how it goes. Maybe you win. Maybe you lose. Get a whole new team the next day. And you, They have new contests starting every day. You play whenever you want. Something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from starting at just $1. You just pick a contest. You choose your team. You watch your score real time. And if you're me, you cry and cry because you're terrible at this game and you don't know how to do it. I thought like the patrons and I played last Tuesday. I thought I was being really smart. I grabbed like Couturier and I grabbed Claude Giroux. Like I thought I'm going to really load up on flyers because they're playing Carolina. So what Cam Ward's going to be in net? What's he going to do? Guess what? Philly won two to one. None of the guys I added got any points. It was terrible. Congrats to Jake Zag one who ended up winning. Uh, yeah, but Brian, we're going to be doing it all again this Tuesday for our patron fan duel league. So why don't you just tell our listeners how they can join all the fun? Okay, all you need to do, it's very simple. Go to fanduel.com slash K-A-R-L on Tuesday morning. Grab yourself one of the 25 spots and you're in. That's it. Make your team, compete against us, see if you can beat us. You can probably beat Elon. Every so often, you can beat me. Yeah. Fanduel.com slash K-A-R-L. Carl. Yeah, I'm definitely going to stop saying that it's going to be tough for you to beat me. It's not, I think probably one trick is I need to put more time into thinking about my lineups. I feel like I just come up with this like beautiful lineup in my head. I'm like, look at this beautiful lineup. I'm not going to change this. It's like my baby now. And then maybe I should have thought about it a little bit longer. Check to see. I don't know. Like, are some people looking like, oh, how many goals did Philly score against Carolina the last like three times they played them? I don't know. It's tough. Maybe yeah. someone who knows about this, not that we need to keep talking about FanDuel, which is great, but okay. The time has come to bring on Pete Jensen. Like I said, he is the senior fantasy editor at NA NHL.com, and he's here to help us through some more like hot streak and cold streak players that you know Brian and I we're, we're scratching our heads we need Pete here so welcome to the show Pete Jensen yeah thanks for having me guys it's, uh, I know you guys do great work on this podcast and it's a pleasure to be a part of it it's uh, fun hearing you guys talk uh, every you know every week when I tune in <laughs> wow thanks that, thanks a lot like coming from you means a lot I've seen you on the NHL.com like video feeds that, that must be pretty cool. You're hanging out with all these cool guys in fancy suits. But now here you are slumming it with Brian and I, where I'm wearing a, a T-shirt. You got a cool sweater on. Okay. We got a bunch of players we want to run by you. And so I'm curious to get your take. First, let's start with someone who maybe a lot of people haven't heard of. So this is where you really need the experts. Who's this guy on Dallas? Greg Patterin. He's a defenseman that I hadn't heard of before, like maybe last week. But all of a sudden, you take a look at who are the top players right now. He has four assists in his last five games, but that just scratches the surface. A lot of defensemen or whatever get points every once in a while. But he also has 16 shots in those last five games. He had six versus Pittsburgh on Friday. He also has 23 blocks and 17 hits in that span as well. So in your bangers and mash leagues, all of a sudden, Greg Patterin is looking like an MVP. Should people be rushing to add him? Like, who is this guy? What do you think about him? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if people should be rushing to add him. I think that certainly if you're in the right type of a league where it counts shots and, uh, you know, he's not, he hasn't produced regularly in assists until recently. 
I was looking at his zone start percentage compared to his first 39 games compared to the recent games where he's been scoring his past nine is not drastically different. He plays on the second pair with Dan, Dan Hamhuse. Uh, I mean, Dallas is kind of, Dallas has been a very steady team. I mean, if this, if this guy is going to be able to contribute shots the way he has over his past nine with 24, including the game on Sunday, uh, I think in that specific league format, and certainly in like daily formats where you have blocked shots, uh, shots on goal, both as primary categories, and he's chipped in assists as well with five over those nine games. So he's kind of a diamond in the rough right now. Let's see how much longer he can keep this up. But certainly uh, short-term streaming, you know, from that standpoint, uh, he certainly deserves some props and some recognition moving forward for Dallas, who I mentioned has taken big strides under Ken Hitchcock defensively this season. I know they had a rough game, you know, their most recent game on Sunday, but uh, this has been a very strong team, one that's going to be very dangerous come playoff time. And I, I really like what Patterson has been doing lately uh, for fantasy owners. I don't anticipate many people have had him though, that, you know, for these, for these nine games, would maybe take notice from this point forward. Yeah, those shot counts. Like you said, if he can keep those up, the question is, I don't know. I still don't know who the real Greg Patterson is, although I have an idea, unless he's changed. Elon, I actually, and Pete, I put in my notes, like the next Jared Spurgeon, two question marks, because he was drafted 28 picks ahead of Spurgeon in 2008, fifth rounder of Toronto. He's 27 years old, in his sixth year in the league, and has never stuck as a full-timer before this year. So a couple parallels to draw between Patterson and Spurgeon there and uh he's not a guy who's ever scored like the four points he's picked up in his last five games give him nine on the year and yes he's played most of the year and they also give him 25 points in his NHL career before this he'd had 21 in 137 games so in his last five games he has contributed like a fifth of his career NHL output uh, it's great that he seems like like he's getting 20 plus minutes. Like you said, Pete, Dallas is a very defensively capable team. And uh, so one thing, like I'm interested why he's blocking all of a sudden when Dallas is supposed to be pretty good at shot suppression and he's racking up these shot blocks. I don't know if that means he's a weak link or just doing his job really well. And uh, at least he's making up for it with getting shots at the other end of the rink. Yeah, definitely. I mean, usually with the shot blockers and like his zone start percentage would suggest, he's a defensive oriented player. But I mean, it's unusual to see four, five, six shots uh, in multiple games in the same span. So maybe he's discovering, uh, you know, point, you know, point of his offense that uh, he has not displayed in the NHL level in recent years and with other teams. Uh, maybe uh, the Dallas coaching staff has discovered that aspect of his game and how it could help them moving forward. So that's an interesting aspect because there are a few defensemen uh, who can contribute blocks and shots at such a high volume. I know it's such a short span, but it's going to be intriguing to see, especially playing, uh, you know, his his minutes per game over the past nine have gone up by about a half a minute. So nothing crazy significant as a result of injuries or anything, but uh, certainly significant for fantasy purposes moving forward. 
Yeah, so I guess maybe he's the type of guy, sounds like you guys are saying, this is very interesting, we did not expect this. Add him to your watch list, maybe you don't have to rush to add him, but uh, definitely keep your eye on this guy, Greg Patterin. Let's see if you can keep it up. Let's go to a name that maybe more people have heard of. The big outjury of the week is, of course, Mark Shifley. He came back from his upper body injury, finally. Nothing in his first game back. And then Winnipeg, they shook up the lines. They got a whole new set of lines for us today. They went with Shifley, Wheeler, and Perot. And then Liney, Little, and Ehlers. So both Kyle Connor and Jack Roscovich, two guys we were talking about, oh, who's going to get that top line spot? They're both now in the bottom six, probably both snoozers. Connor, by the way, though, is on the top power play. So he was playing with Shifley, Wheeler, Liney, and Bufflin on the top power play. Anyway, like, first let's talk about Shifley, though. Anyways, is there any reason to not expect him to continue this point-per-game pace moving forward for the rest of the year? I mean, he's a great player, clearly. He's in a great situation, top line, top power by playing with great players. Like, what could go wrong with him? Or do we expect he's going to end the season with as many points as he has games? No, I think he's, I think he's a slam dunk. Uh, at least, you know, he's going to score a point in at least 90% of, you know, when it's all said and done from this point forward, I mean, he's, uh, he's a great, he's an elite center in this league. I would still take him uh, in the upper echelon where if you compare him to say uh, Anze Kopitar, I'd probably rather have when he's fully healthy, uh, Mark Shifley. I mean, certainly Ryan Getzlaff that is in that same conversation. I have both of them on one of my teams. Um, If I had to choose one, I would probably choose Shifley. Uh, the Winnipeg offense has taken a new dimension this season. Uh, their top six, even their bottom six is pretty strong. Uh, Matthew Perot is very reliable. So it's good to see him get some top line usage where he was one of the best in points per 60 earlier in the season when he was playing on, you know, like the third or fourth line. So at certain points, so I like this move for Perot getting exposure to Wheeler and Shifley. It's good for Wheeler owners, obviously, he now moves back to right wing, but he got that center eligibility in Yahoo. So that's pretty key. And then Patrick Line, I mean, Nikolai Ehlers is very underrated. Um, it's good. I know it's not the same as being with Shifley and Wheeler like he was the other day, but Ehlers can still bring out uh, different aspects of Line's game. I really like Line as, you know, top 25, 30 overall player from this point forward. And uh, it'll be interesting for short term as well. I mean, there's still a couple of games, uh, you know, I know they lost to the Rangers, but they still have a couple of games left on this uh, mammoth homestand with the 10 game homestand. So, yeah, Winnipeg, I really like. I liked them at the beginning of the season to make the playoffs. I picked them to make the playoffs. Um, they've been even better than I've expected uh, from the back end. So it's uh, it's been nice to see. It's good to see. Shifley back uh, because you always hate to see uh, a young player deal with injury like he has early in his career. So good to see him back. He's probably a little rusty right now, but uh, good news for the Jets, especially moving forward to the stretch run for fantasy purposes and also into the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Like they're almost fully healthy. Jacob Truba is injured, unfortunately. Maybe he could get back just in time for the playoffs. We said at the start of the year, like all the Jets, they have such a great roster. They just need some goaltending. And now they're getting it. Not from Steve Mason, like a lot of us thought maybe would be able to give it to them, but they're getting it from Connor Hellebuck. So that is just fine. Glad to hear that you think that Patrick Laine will still be able to produce, even though he's playing with Ehlers. He was fine also before Shifley got injured. So I guess, yeah. And Ehlers scored a goal today. So he's been a little bit inconsistent this year, but nice to hear also that you think he'll be good. So it sounds like good news. For everyone, except for, I guess, uh, Jack Roslovich, who's no longer playing with Blake Wheeler. 
Yeah, but he did he did have a good turn in the top six in Winnipeg. Roslovich seemed capable of handling the role when I watched and read about the games after I, I saw complimentary words for him. And uh and I hope Nick Healers gets back on track and that an extra healthy body in the top six helps him rather than hurts him. I assume it will be the former, as you said, Pete. Uh, he has been largely inconsistent over the last like uh, month and a bit. Uh, 14 games it's been since he has strung together two consecutive games in which he's scored a point. Elon, like you said, he has a goal today, uh, took three shots. That's promising. Hopefully he can break this inconsistent snap and give us a point in a back-to-back game in his next outing. Yeah, and also, like Pete said, for sure, watch out for Matthew Perot. If he, He's been good. Like I feel like he's probably not available in most leagues. If he's still available, if he's going to be on line one with Shifley and Wheeler, you definitely want to grab him, Like just as much as we were talking about you wanting to have Kyle Connor earlier on. Okay, next player I wanted to bring up. We didn't really give any proper love, and now I feel like it's almost too late, but we didn't give compliments to Harry Sateri, who we kind of joked about before, like, oh, man, what? Are the Florida Panthers now going to have to play Harry Sateri? Okay, good luck. But he actually went on a really great run. He had four straight wins, letting in only one or two goals in each of those games before finally taking a 3-1 loss to LA on Friday. Not a great game. He stopped only 23 of 26 shots. But I guess this might be the end for Harry Sateri. Reimer is off IR, and Luongo has been practicing with the team. So I assume... Pete, like, I don't know if you have any insider knowledge, but like, I would guess that this means Harry Sateri is probably going back down to the minors, and it's as simple as that, right? Um, yeah, Harry Sateri, uh, great story. Uh, you know, coming back to the, you know, coming to the NHL this season and uh, stepping in here for for the injured Luongo and Reimer. But I think, barring any unforeseen trade, I think unfortunately he's going back to the AHL probably in yeah. the next few days. So it's it's one of those things where. Uh, you can't say enough about the job he's done. I mean, Florida was, we labeled him at the all, we labeled Florida at the all-star break when we did our strength, to schedule thing. They have a very favorable schedule uh, the last four weeks of the season and a lot of games played, including that makeup game against uh, Boston from earlier in the year. So that's noteworthy for fantasy purposes. But when we were doing this strength, to schedule piece, we were labeling Florida as a non-contender because of where they stood at the all-star break. But, Believe it or not, that four-game winning streak may have gotten them back into respectability. There are, you know, six, eight points out of the final wild card spots in the East right now. So pretty cool for them because they got off to a horrible start where they weren't really relevant uh, in the grand scheme of things. But they seem to be back on track thanks to his duties backing up uh, the injured goalies. But certainly Luongo's the guy for fantasy purposes when he comes back from that lower body injury. Even being the oldest goalie in the league, he still had a tremendous save percentage before his injury this season and was very valuable to fantasy owners. So uh, great story, but unfortunately, it's probably going to come to an end in the next couple of days. I'm with you, Pete. Luongo is like seems very well positioned to get first crack at his job back when he is healthy enough to play. Unless like James Reimer could get on another big role, right? And then uh, that if that happens before Luongo can get healthy and ready to start, maybe they leave him playing for longer. Cause Florida, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm as sold on them as you are. I don't know that without like superhuman goaltending performances, the rest of the way that they can keep winning the way they have during James Reimer's hot streak. And now mm-hmm. during Harry Sateri's hot streak and Roberto Luongo was also playing. I mean, I, I had ranks pretty low going into the year. So definitely not up at 928. We'll see where he ends up over the rest of the season, but I feel like he's going to have to play quite a fair bit 
over his head for the Panthers to make any real headway uh, if play like I was going to say towards the playoffs race, but I, I don't know if that's just a straight up pipe dream at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the only pipe dream they have for the playoffs is, is if these teams, I know the Rangers have won now two in a row. The Islanders had that crazy comeback win. The Flyers have been inconsistent though. The Islanders have serious issues with all their injuries on the back end. Carolina has been up and down. All these teams have been up and down. Columbus has been pretty awful over the past couple of weeks. And uh, certainly their offense is overachieved uh, for the season. So I'm just interested to see if they can keep up this. I mean, it may take what Luongo was doing beforehand, maybe even better. I mean, he's provided that lift to teams in years past. I don't know if he could still do it at this age, but um, it's intriguing to see the schedule, how it's somewhat favorable. Also, they still have a bunch of games left uh, compared to other teams. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. They're kind of a dark horse team right now. Nobody expected them to be here. Keith Yandel's playing his best hockey of the year. Aaron Ekblad's getting hot. Uh, I know Dadnov's cooled off, but they're, uh, they've kind of split up their top two lines. And it's, uh, it's cool to see because they were a one-line team earlier in the year. And now with uh, Trocek and Huberto on a separate line and Dadnov up top with uh, Barkov, it's just going to be interesting to see if they could emerge from that fourth place and on in the Atlantic division, because it's been those top three teams all year long. And we didn't expect another team to even resurface in the playoff picture. And it's right now, it's probably the Panthers uh, of any of those teams. Yeah, so it is very interesting. We'll have to see if Roberto Luongo can at least give us another couple good months of hockey and help the Panthers get into the playoffs. I did also want to ask you, you brought up Dadanov and all these line changes. I'm a full-fledged member of hashtag Team Dadanov. I've said it on the show. I was very Every year I like to pick my like sleeper guy going into the year, and Dadanov was looking great, you know, top line, top power play. But, you know, I got to tell you, I haven't been a huge fan as a member of hashtag Team Dadanov of these recent Panthers line changes. They, like you said, they put Huberdeau on line two with Trocek and Malgin. And then they've had Bjugstad with Dadanov and Barkov on the top line. And Dadanov, he was on this really nice hot streak. Now he only has two points in his last seven games. I personally, I still like him. I don't have plans to drop him, but I'm curious to ask my two experts here. Like, am I snoozing on him? Like, should I be considering letting go of Evgeny Dadanov? I just feel like at the end of the day, he's still playing with Barkov. He's still on the top power play and he has this great pedigree from all those numbers he put up in the KHL. So he's probably still worth holding, right? I would hold him for at least another week or two. I have him in one of my leagues, which is a pretty shallow league where it's it's a hits league where you know even a guy like I've been holding on to a guy like Jake Gensel hoping he can uh, get more power play usage with some of Pittsburgh's injuries but yeah I mean I think Dadanov just gained left wing eligibility in Yahoo which helps his cause when you're comparing him to guys like Kevin Fiala who's out there some of those dual eligible guys that have been up and down who are worth considering in standard formats but yeah, Dadanov, I have him in that league, like I mentioned. I'm holding on to him for at least another week. Uh, as long as he has exposure to Barkov and or Huberto, I'm a believer in him down the stretch, as I mentioned with Florida's schedule uh, during fantasy playoffs for head-to-head leagues. So, yeah, I, I would stay on uh, on the boat with, with um, Evgeny Dadanov. Uh, he also, you know, he had, he had a pretty nice start to the season, missed time with injury, now came back riding some ups and downs. But if Florida is relevant uh, down the stretch, the schedule's in the favor. And uh, Dadanov is still playing, you know, 18, 19 minutes a game. So it's, 
it's favorable for him, uh, especially with the spot he's in with those offensive players. Barkov's one of the most uh, defensively responsible centers in the game, I think. He's very underrated, and uh, I like his exposure to Dadanov even through the ups and downs. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I agree with you. He had a really like fantastic start for Dadanov. There were a few games where, like, is he going to or is he not? And then all of a sudden, boom, he made his mark. But I think he's in a bigger – like, he's been resting on those laurels for it feels like a while now. Dadanov is in a funk. There's no doubt. Like, just four goals since November 11th. That's, I don't know, three months? Three months since November 11th. Just four goals, 29 games. And only 11 assists since then, too. So 15 points makes him no better than a half-point-per-game player for now what's been two-thirds of his season and the most recent two-thirds of his season, too. I am still optimistic that being on the top line is good. And also, Dadanov's shot rate has gone up over the last few weeks to about three shots per game, which is ahead of the two shots per game that we've become accustomed to. A small tick, but one in the right direction nonetheless. And I also, like, I'm still with you, Pete. Like, the potential is still there, and it's hard to think that he finds himself out of the top six for an extended time while Malgin and Bugstad get up there instead of him. That said, I'm going to draw a, a slightly different conclusion, which is that uh, you should probably hold him, especially if you can afford to keep him for your fantasy playoffs. This is not going to affect you in the short term too much. But if you are an owner of him, as I am, uh, I am seriously evaluating whether he's worth holding while I wait for him to do stuff again. Like I I've settled in one league. I'm going to in another league. I already cut bait. I don't, I don't know. I think you're going to regret it in the league. You cut bait, Brian. I'm, I'm with Pete here, obviously, but uh, like not obviously because I love that enough, <laughs> but also obviously, because I'm obviously going to disagree with you, but uh, yeah, I just feel like his situation is no different than before, except for now he doesn't have Huberdo there. He's playing with Bjorkstad. So that is a bit of a downgrade for sure, but I'm hanging on for now. Let's see what happens. We'll bring him up again in another couple of weeks if if nothing changes, and then maybe we'll have to reassess. Uh, that's going oh. to the next team. Or go ahead. Fine. No, I, I'll cop to just play, like going a little hard in the double side. Okay, you should probably keep Dad enough. Pete is right. Okay. Let's see if you guys disagree. I like having two experts here. I also really like this term exposure and play when someone's playing with something, they have exposure. Uh-huh. That. Can I use that, Pete, from now on? Or is that like a yeah. Pete Jensen? Yeah, go for it. I use that all the time. That's great. Okay. So one guy that's had exposure to a really crappy team is Antti Ranta, who I think is a good goalie, but I wanted to bring him up because he's someone I said going into like the second half of the season, he was kind of one of my dark horse. You know, I think that this is a good guy. Like no one thinks he's that good. Arizona has been so terrible. Ranta has been injury, like having injuries and stuff. So I thought he's a good guy to add that. I think he's going to have a better second half than the first half. He's kind of not helping me uh, prove my case. Like he hasn't been as good as I hoped he would be. Arizona has lost five of their last six games. Ranta looked a bit shaky in his two games that after missing a couple games so to be fair he missed those games because he had a car accident so i don't know if that affected him or if it was just playing on arizona that affected him anyways he had a good game yesterday finally versus philly he stopped 40 43 shots took a 4-3 shootout loss like dadanov like i still feel like ranta's good and worth holding and i think that arizona is also maybe better than all of these losses indicate like i'm not saying they're a good team but i feel like they should be able to win more than one out of every six or whatever it's been but maybe it's possible that I'm snoozing on anti-Ranta as well. So I'm curious to know, uh, what, do you, what do you think? Is, is anti-Ranta and the Arizona Coyotes, are they going to give us some wins moving forward? Is Ranta going to put up a decent save percentage? Or should people really just forget about him? And should I stop saying that I think he's a decent goalie and, and like you know worth owning in most fantasy leagues? Yeah, he's not worth owning in most fantasy leagues. But he the intriguing part about his situation is that he's in a contract year. 
Uh, Coyotes are one of the worst teams in the league. I'm just curious to know. I know they have more of an analytical direction than they've had in the past with their new young GM, but I'm just curious to know the direction of this team as it pertains to Ranta and also Ekman Larson because these are guys who have been up and down fantasy players. I mean, Ranta is uh, has a 9.22 save percentage since January 1st in, you know, 11 games, so not bad at all. Um, not getting many wins, though, only four in those 11 games. And certainly earlier in the year, even before that car accident you mentioned, uh, he was banged up even from the very start of the season, from the preseason to the uh, opening night, uh, you know, opening week. He was in and out of the lineup, never really got too much continuity. He has been better uh, over the past couple of months, uh, not from a win standpoint, but from a save percentage standpoint, faces a lot of shots. but. Yeah, Ranta, I'm just I'm wondering if he's going to get traded being in a contract year. I mean, from my opinion, I think Arizona should try to hang on to him and probably should. I don't know how much they're going to have to pay Ekman Larson. I don't know. Uh, you know, he's been an all star there multiple times, but he uh, I, I'm not sure they could probably fetch a pretty high return for Ekman Larson, especially from one of these teams out there that are a piece or two away defensively from making a cup run you know I think of Toronto to be you know for one you know prime example but uh, yeah back to Ranta I think that he is worth owning in deeper leagues and if you want to take a flyer on him in a standard league if you have a goalie injury if someone's not coming back just yet certainly Ranta has some appeal leading up to the trade deadline and in a standard league you get him right now hoping that he's traded. I don't know if it's going to happen, but that's kind of the game that you play for the time being. Okay, so I guess you're telling me I need to give up on these Arizona Coyotes. It's just like they've been rebuilding for so long, and now if they're going to trade Ekman Larson, it's like, here we go again. How many more years until they could be a team that could have a goalie that's worth owning in fantasy? We see how good Mike Smith is now that he's away from Arizona. I guess we need to free anti-Ranta. I guess we'll see. Like, I mean, if they trade him, who's going to be their starting goalie next year? Scott Wedgwood? Like, I, I can't even believe this, but I guess that's the situation. One positive thing about owning Ranta, like you were saying before about, like, Florida's home games, Arizona has a nice stretch coming up. I actually read this nhl.com you tweeted this and i saw nhl.com's 31 weekly trends and their one about arizona was how they have eight of their next nine games are at home so that might be a good sign and it's also not only a good sign potentially for some wins for anti-ranta maybe also a good sign for Derek stepan who you know he has 35 points in 55 games on the year which is solid like he's one of the only well not one of he is probably the only fantasy relevant forward to own on Arizona and maybe even player uh, depending what you think about Oliver Ekman Larson at this point but of his 35 points in 55 games he has 21 points in 26 at home so he's like really killing it at home not as great on the road he's a 66 point pace for his home games so if, if Stepan has all these home games coming up like I said eight of the next nine games for Arizona I don't know if he's available in free agency or not in your league but I definitely would like him in the short term and maybe even in the long term like he's pretty solid that was a good pickup too bad they're rebuilding always. <laughs> yeah, Stepan's a good play for daily formats, especially during this upcoming stretch with a lot of home games, given his splits. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Ranta, I think I had him on one of my teams earlier in the year. I cut bait. I mean, it's he had a great track record with the Blackhawks and with the Rangers as a backup. And especially uh, his last year with the Rangers really showed that he could be a starting caliber goalie. 
you look at Arizona's defense, uh, they've been banged up as well. They had the start of the year without Jacob Chikrin. They had Jalmerson out for a decent stretch. OEL has been uh, putting up decent numbers compared to the rest of the pack, but overall his plus minus has been a, a disaster. It One of my main leagues, I'm in second out of a 12-team it's one of those experts leagues and the reason why I'm not closer to the first place guy probably not going to catch him is because I have so many guys with bad plus minuses from Ristolainen to Ekman Larson Shea Theodore has been burning me lately so that's kind of been unfortunate but um, certainly at least uh, Arizona's defense has been healthy lately giving Ronta much more of a chance uh, to hang around in games and certainly at home uh, to get a couple of more wins. Yeah, we noted that Arizona's team-wide trends were like going in the right direction in terms of expected goals and shot rates and uh, shot attempt share, mm-hmm. except like they've since stagnated or slipped in the last week or so. It's not like terribly alarming because they're still way up from where they were at the start of the year. But it also makes you rethink, you know, if Ron, even if Ronta plays well, uh, how much can the Coyotes really do for him and how much can he do for them? Like, Do they really even have enough pieces to consistently compete and win games. You were talking about their back end, which is greatly improved, but look up front. Like there's, there's so little there, uh, pretty thin lineup, especially with Max Domi having taken what appears to be a huge step back this season. Uh, but as you mentioned in your article, that home schedule, eight of their next nine at home, that is very nice. Let's hope something good comes of it for the Coyotes and for, and uh, for our favorite, I was going to try and make a fami- family relation comment, our favorite non-uncle. Anti-Ranta, but it's weak. That's done. Yeah, Dave Dave in the chat room wrote, I'm more anti-Ranta than pro-Ranta. That's the classic pun with his name. Dave also wrote in the chat that he thinks that Arizona should leave the league and then re-enter so they could get an expansion draft. Maybe they'll be better off that way. Several teams might be. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, because they're supposed to, like, you say they have no forwards. Like, the idea was, like, Dylan Strom and, you know, Max Domi and Clayton Keller. Like, all these guys, there's, like, other names we mentioned at the start of your Christian Dvorak. Like, it was supposed to be this, like, high-powered young offensive team, but uh, not happening. Let's move on. Let's go to a team that is a high-powered offensive team, and we talk about them a lot, but I think it'll be fun to bring them up here and get Pete's opinion. We had a tweet from at Mikey0042, as well as a question on our Facebook group from Ryan, asking if maybe Vladimir Tarasenko on St. Lewis is a bit overrated like okay hear me out though I I know I already got the pitchforks last week saying McDavid might not win the Art Ross trophy so like okay but I'm gonna throw it out there like we've considered Tarasenko as a top guy for a couple years now like someone that should maybe be drafted in the first round of a lot of leagues but you know at this point in the season Tarasenko he has 49 points in 58 games which is great but that's a 69 point pace and we've got a bunch of players above a point per game pace right now so he's below like he's not playing like a first round draft pick in a fantasy league right now he only had a two goal game and a one assist game of his past eight games so six of the past eight games he's gotten no points if you look at his last three years he's been good like 73 74 75 points so he's behind that pace this year i'm curious to know, like what are your expectations for vladimir tarasenko moving forward this year like do you think now's a great time to buy low on him like especially in keeper leagues because he's like whatever slumping but he's going to bounce back to being close to a point per game player or is it maybe time to sell high while people still think of him as one of these like top premier fantasy players and maybe you could still get an amazing return for him and people don't realize maybe he's not that point per game player like a lot of other guys like ryan was offered goudreau for him and i think that's a tough choice to decide between tarasenko or goudreau anyways i rambled a lot what do you think about tarasenko pete 
Yeah, Tarasenko, I mean, for years now, he's put up excellent goal totals without having uh, an elite center by his side. I know he was playing with Braden Shen earlier in the year, and now he's been playing more often with Stasny. Uh, the Blues have been a weird team uh, from top to bottom with all their injuries at different points in the season. Uh, the Jaden Schwartz injury really threw a wrench into their forward group. Um, that said, uh, it's kind of interesting to see even with the regression on the power play a little bit for Tarasenko, even with the point, you know, point regression, it's not that big of a regression. I mean, you mentioned he's on pace for 69 points. He's had 73 plus each of the past three years prior to that. So it's a small dip. I mean, significant though, when you mention how the scoring is up uh, around the league. So uh, I had him just outside the top 10 in the preseason. Yahoo had him a little higher. Um, and he's someone right now that I would certainly not let slip in any draft uh, outside the top 15 or 20. Uh, and that's where he's been in Yahoo League, standard leagues over the past two years. He was 20th last season and he's 19th, even with everything going on and uh, his inconsistent play and his inconsistent coverage of late uh, 19th in standard leagues uh, in Yahoo. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, I'm not sure if he would be a buy low considering he's still ranked that high, but uh, I certainly like Tarasenko. He's in the prime of his career. Uh, I think he's capable of putting together a nice run to close out the season. And uh, yeah, I would say that Vladimir Tarasenko is not overrated. Uh, even if he does take a slight step back this season. I think he's doing a lot more than other players in the league would with um, with his centerman being Paul Stasny. So I think that's impressive on his part. That's a good point. Not even having a consistent centerman. Like we've seen Paul Stasny be rotated all around the lineup. Tarasenko's played with Yuri Letter in the past. And right. as you just said, like he... Even in inconsistencies, he's still like a remarkably consistent player. Tarasenko, uh, like, is I, I don't know that overrated is the right word. Maybe mis misunderstood. A lot of people think Tarasenko think eighty plus lockdown, but he's a he's a seventy five point guy. Maybe seventy seventy five points if you want to be conservative. Right. And he's really good at doing that. I kind of see him as someone who's close in value to like Blake Wheeler. And they usually don't get lumped together. It's usually Tarasenko way ahead. But I feel like Tarasenko is Blake Wheeler with more flair. The thing with Tarasenko is he also carries like big upside to get more than mid-70s in a particularly good year. Think like Jamie Benn. Uh, but having just turned 26, I don't know that Tarasenko is going to develop much further beyond the guy he already is. So maybe he'll do it for a season but I don't know that he's going to break out of this mid-70s mold that he's settled very nicely into. Uh, here's one point to chew on, though, in terms of Tarasenko suddenly evolving this year. He's shooting way more than he ever has before. His previous career high, 292 shots. This year, through 57 games, he's already got 225, which puts Tarasenko on pace for 327 shots on goal, which is a very big number. So maybe there is still some room for him to evolve. But that said, uh, he's still on the same point pace as he usually is. Pete, you mentioned some regression that that is at play here. And I see that too. Like He probably deserves closer to an 80-point pace based on how he's played. Uh, so maybe I'm actually moving in the other direction. Uh, he has a slight downturn in shooting percentage, bigger downturn in IPP that hopefully will bounce back and put him up closer to 80 points. But I'm not about to reclassify him from a mid-70s guy to an 80-point guy 
just based on this year alone. Um, if you can find someone, like if you're trading Tarasenko and you find someone who thinks uh, that Tarasenko is like an 80, 85, 90 point guy on a season to season basis, I think that's a great sell high if you can swing it. But as Pete said, this isn't his greatest season so far. Yeah. And also, I would love to know what would have happened if Jaden Schwartz hadn't gotten injured because Tarasenko, Schwartz, and Shen were really rolling before that injury. Maybe this season will have gone very differently. Maybe they'll still get back hot again once that line reunites. Uh, yeah, interesting takes. I'm also curious to know, speaking of St. Louis, we have another couple situ- like situations there, Pete, that Brian and I have been talking about for the past couple of episodes. I'm just curious to get your take on what you think is going to happen. So there's the goalie situation, right? Like Hutton has stolen Allen's role as the number one goalie. And actually, though, maybe th- that's getting chipped into, by the way. Like Jake Allen got his first set of consecutive starts. He got his second start in a row today versus Pittsburgh after beating Winnipeg on Friday. But... Allen lost four to one uh, St. Louis lost and Allen only stopped 19 of 22 shots. So I'd imagine we're going to just going to go back to Carter Hutton uh, against Nashville on Tuesday. And here we go again. Like do you, what's your guess as to what will happen long-term there? Maybe also throw the other situation at you that you could take both at once. There's also Vince Dunn, who is another guy I hadn't heard of before, like a few weeks ago, that's been taking the top power play job from Alex Petrangelo, which I definitely didn't expect to happen. Like I thought maybe Colton Pareko would definitely not Vince Dunn. So you know, of those two situations, who do you see at the end of the season being the number one goalie and the top power play defenseman? I mean, I don't know that the the Vince Dunn thing seems like kind of a you know just a trend. I mean, they're they're mixing it up there. They need to kind of do something. They're comfortably in playoff position, but they needed to mix it up a little bit. Uh, Pareko's great up and coming defenseman, but he's been hot and cold at points. Petrangelo had the great start and um, has kind of cooled off at certain points as well. So mixing it up and putting Dunn there, he had that three-assist game. He's had two power play points in this stretch since he's been moved up there. Um, I don't think that that will stick for the rest of the season. However, the more that I see uh, Carter Hutton play and the comparison to Jake Allen, I know Jake Allen had the strong finish last season and is more of the – prodigy in terms of being the goalie of the future for this team but Carter Hutton even from his days in Nashville showed that he was a high-end backup he has been a high-end backup all season and he has just dominated the workload in recent months and deserves to keep playing Um, each time I do those top 250 updates I kind of take it with a grain of salt because Allen could reclaim the job at any time but I mean we're getting fairly deep into February now and it doesn't look like there's much turning back and we mentioned all the adversity that the Blues have dealt with and Hart, uh, Hutton just keeps it up so major props to him he's been a great home goalie the Blues have been a great road team on the season and uh, yeah right now if I would say rest the season I've kind of changed my tune whereas a couple of weeks ago I would have say you know, buy low on Jake Allen. I mean, everything right now is pointing to the favor of Hutton. And I don't know how anybody could dispute it right now, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, maybe if Allen had a really good game today, got a shutout against Pittsburgh, we'd be singing a totally different tune. Right. But I think, yeah, let's see. If like Hutton had that one bad game last week, and so that's what kind of opened the door. But then his next game was good. So let's see what happens against Nashville on Tuesday. I'm assuming I got it wrong last week, by the way. I was so sure that Varlamov was going to get the first game of the week for Colorado, and then they ended up going with Bernier. So I'm assuming Hutton gets the game on Tuesday, and we'll see what happens. We might have to keep bringing this up all throughout the season, but <laughs> get your take. Just like us, you were... It sounds like you're saying you were 
expecting Alan to take the job back at some point. They're just recently finally coming to grips with the fact that maybe that's not going to happen. Uh, okay. A couple more players I wanted to bring up. Uh, Brian, like, what do you think about Kevin Fiala? Like, is he for real? We get asked about him so much in our Facebook group. Like, my hunch is always that Fiala is, like, not a reliable own in fantasy. Like, he had that super long cold stretch starting at the end of December. Like, he had this, okay, before that, he had this amazing hot stretch. He had a nine-game point streak. Fiala was amazing on that second line with Turris and Smith. But then he went cold again, and I sort of thought to myself, okay, I guess Fiala is one of these guys who was hot. But at the end of the day, for me, like, usually in fantasy, I'm not big on owning a player who's not on the top power play and not on a super exciting line, like not one of the go-to lines. And now, but then again, he got hot again. He put up four goals and one assist in three games a couple of weeks ago. Then this week, he did nothing for two games. He scored versus Montreal yesterday. I feel like everyone who added him after that hot stretch a couple of weeks ago is probably still holding on and happy that he got that goal. But I don't know. To me, I don't know about Fiala. Curious to get both of your takes, Brian. Why don't you go first? Like, am I missing the boat with him? Or am I right that he's maybe worth owning once in a while, but not like a super reliable guy as some people are starting to think of him as? Super reliable, I don't know. Uh, He's only five points shy of what Mitch Marner has. So if you're really into him, as we talked about at the top of the show, then maybe you should be close. Like, maybe he's a little more inconsistent then Mitch Marner, probably lower upside too. Uh, he, Fiala has five goals in his last five games, and he scored those five goals on nine shots. So uh, I guess contrary to what I started by saying, it's not really a for real stat line from Kevin Fiala, but he's making a good case to at least be a regular stream, be a regular candidate to throw in your lineup because he seems like he could be at least 50 points for real. Uh, currently on pace for more than that, but there's probably some regression to come. On pace for 55, Mitch Marner on pace for 59. Yeah, Kevin Fiala, whether he's for real or not, I mean, he doesn't strike me as a guy who is self-sustainable and that line changes and adversity will, like that he'll hold true to what he's done during his hot stretches. But when you look at the big picture, I mean, he's averaging almost three shots a game since the terrorist trade. He has 30 30 points in those 40 games. Uh, I liked him coming into the year as kind of a sleeper slash deep sleeper, and that was before the tourist trade. So the tourist trade makes it a lot more comfortable for me to uh, roll with the punches and the ups and downs with him because overall, especially in rotisserie leagues, uh, Nashville's a very strong team when healthy. When they're healthy and they have Forsberg back from the suspension now, he was injured previously. Johansson was banged up for a little bit. Arvidsson as well. This, if this team is healthy, I trust Kevin Fiala, you know, at least at this stage in his career. I mean, he's he's been a great goal scorer for them, and his shot volume suggests that it's not just, uh, you know, a short-term thing where he's shooting at a ridiculous percentage and he's going to regress. Um part of that stretch where he went ice cold was when Nashville was dealing with some significant injuries to the forward group. Oh yeah. That's very interesting. Always something to consider. Cause I guess when we're just looking at the numbers of like, you know, shooting percentages and things like that, that's not taking into account which players he was playing with, like what injuries they were dealing with. So let's see if now that the team is healthy, but I mean, I'd prefer if he was playing with, you know, Forsberg or Arvidsson or Johansson or something, but I guess this tourist line, it's going pretty well. And so it'll be fun to see what happens. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm, you know, sh- cutting him short a little bit too much. Another guy that, Brian, you've been telling me recently you're into is Pavel Zaka. You said I got to bring him up. So here we go. Five points his last five games going into today. Right now, New Jersey is playing Boston. There's a minute left in the game. Not looking like Zaka got on the board today. 
And by the way, Brian, your favorite goalie, Eddie Lack, was in nets, and he stunk. 846, 8%, four goals against on 26 shots. So no surprise. Yeah, anyone uh, who was using Keith Kincaid to get their goalie starts while Corey Schneider is out can exhale. Eddie Lack is not about to steal the job. Did not, I'm not, how many times have I, have I tried to fool myself into thinking that Eddie Lack can do this? Uh, He can't. I don't know what's going on. I'm hoping that one day, not too long in the future, he'll be able to, but I'm not ready to give him another chance this season. And I don't think the Devils should either at this point. It looks like uh, they've scored again, but it might've been with an empty net, which is it all that different from Eddie Lack in the last Uh, few years? Not so sure. Uh, So Keith Kincaid owners rejoice. Uh, As for Pavel Zaka, I streamed him in this week in my lineup. He did great for my team. He contributed. He's got the numbers. He's got the line mates. So why not give him a shot? He's certainly better. Like I've seen Jesper Bratt owned on several teams and he's got the line mates, but not the points or the shots. Bratt has been limited to one or no shots on goal in 15 of his last 17 games. That's very, very few shots and only seven points in his last 17 games. And that's even a kind slice because Brat has just one point with eight shots in his last nine games. If you own Jesper Brat, you're snoozing. Yeah, well, actually, Brian, you're talking about the lines. New lines today. I'm very surprised and happy. They've got Kyle Palmieri back where he belongs on line one with Taylor Hall and Nico Hischer. And then they were going with Zaka with Wood and Nose, and I guess it's like line three. They got a lot of ice time. Then Zaka with Jesper Bratt and Drew Stafford. So all's right in the world. But yeah, Zaka didn't get a point, but he is still on the top power play with Hall and Palmieri and Brian Boyle and a defenseman, I guess, Will Butcher. And also Zaka had a decent game today. Five shots, so no points, but still got you a lot of shots. He's good. Like So Pete, who do you think? Like If you had to pick one New Jersey Devil forward to own and you can't have Taylor Hall and you can't have Kyle Palmieri, and I guess let's say you can't have Nico Hischer, even though it's not as if he's been so amazing lately. An assist today for what it's worth. Anyone else worth owning? Are you on the Pavel Zaka train? Yeah, at this point, you can give uh, Zaka a chance, especially now that he's on the first power play unit. Uh, He's getting some chances in those spots. Uh, You mentioned that's a great stat about uh, even when when a guy's not producing, you want to have the shot volume there, whether you're playing DFS or season long, regardless of your league format, you're still, you don't want a, a goose egg any given night. And for that stretch where Jesper Bratt, and you mentioned he, he was just demoted to the, you know, to another line separate from Hall and he sure that's significant. So if I was going to pick one, I might go out outside of the devil's roster for that replacement of Bratt. But if you want to go inside, I mean, Pavel Zaka, high end draft pick who has yet to pan out, but showing some flashes of brilliance right now. So I would take a chance on him over Brat right now. But again, in the grand scheme of things, I might look to the waiver wire for a different team um, to see we you know what else is out there before grabbing Zaka. Yeah, that's reasonable. Or you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson or at Pete at NHL Jensen. I see you take fantasy advice questions as well. So let us know your free agents and we could try to help you out and see if there's a better option than Zaka. By the way, Pete, I saw you. So you do this list, your top 250 fantasy owns. And your last one that you released was on February 1st. So I guess just, just a week ago, you had Kyle Palmieri at 180. He's got to be higher on your next one, right? Like he's on a hot streak right now, back on line one, top power play. No way I want some of these guys who are around Palmieri on your list. Like give, give me Palmieri a lot higher. He'd, yeah, he'd be moving up. Uh, certainly has had three multi-point games, I believe, since 
I did those rankings, so it's changed. And now he's back on the top line. So Palmieri's been a top 75, top 100 overall fantasy player in recent years. So uh, it's good to see him healthy, dealt with a lot of injury earlier in the season. And uh, back on that line, uh, opposite wing of Taylor Hall is all you need to know. He's a great category coverage asset in season-long leagues and certainly a top 150 overall player uh, when things are going in the right direction for him as they are now as opposed to you know, a week and a half ago. Yeah, and Brian, I see you're freaking out on the video and in the chat room. What's going on? Mike Smith just got injured, and he's carried me so much this fantasy season, oh. so I'm panicking. I'm trying to make some moves live on the show, trying to find the leagues where I need to uh, to fix my goaltending situation. I know it doesn't make for great podcasting, but this is uh, this is real-time situation room business. Well, how serious is this injury? I don't know anything. It, well, there was a, a tweet that I saw that it looks serious. Someone else wrote that it looks like a pulled groin, which would be very bad news. Um, so in one league where I just added Michael Neuverth, where I need a lot of goalie help, he is gone and I am preemptively adding, uh, David, David Riddich. Riddich. maybe John Gillies gets a look like who knows David Riddich at least has played well for Calgary in his stints, his backup way better than Eddie Lack did when he had his short opportunity in Calgary. So Riddich has become an, been a very capable number two. I wonder if this is opportunity for the flames to see what they have in John Gillies, who has been their top goaltending prospect for a little while now. Uh, just trying to process it all. Oh, man. What should we do? What do we do, Pete? <laughs> Start the episode over. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you're in a deeper league, you got to at least throw Gillies on your watch list, see what happens. Hopefully it's not serious for Smith. I did not see the play just now, but that's, yeah, that's not good news. He's been a clear top 10 to 15 goalie all season long through the flames ups and downs offensively. So, um, and he's in the later stages of his career, but certainly has bounced back from his days in Arizona uh, in yeah. recent years. So, but you know um, what? I, I kind of feel bad. I feel like I kind of forgot about how Mike Smith gets injured every year. I feel like we haven't mentioned it this year to Mike. You know, we always say like when Chris Letang or whatever, and we're always saying, watch out. He might get injured. We probably should have been saying people need to be prepared for the fact that Mike Smith always gets injured. We were enjoying the wave and now might be some tough times ahead. Well, he was so consistent. I mean, all year, whether they were scoring or not, or winning streak or losing streak, they've had some lengthy ones for each, but uh, he's been putting up good numbers, even in losses. Uh, most of the time, Mike Smith. So props on a great season, and I hope he's not out too long because that will throw a wrench into many fantasy owners' uh, goalie situations. Yeah, and also like the Calgary Flames uh, playoff. Who knows, maybe Riddich and Gillies. And that's happened before, by the way. Like sometimes you jump on the backup goalie, and then it turns out that it's the other goalie that comes up from the minors that ends up taking the job while the main guy's injured. And the only reason he was in the minors is because they wanted to get him more starts, but he's the actual goalie that people like, and that might be the situation with Calgary and Gillies. Wow. Okay, we're doing things off the cuff here. I still wanted to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. Maybe we can just talk about them quickly and then end the show. They've been messing with their lines. I assume Kane and Schmaltz was a lock like for the rest of the year. They were doing well together, but for some reason they split them up. They were going with Kane, Hartman, and Anisimov for a bit, and then they had Schmaltz in the bottom six. But then if you look at the line combos over on Dubber Hockey, like they were shuffling all over the place trying to get a goal against Devin Dubnik, and they weren't able to get one. So I'd imagine things will shake up some more. But like just last week, I called Nick Schmaltz a potential like you know 
free agent pickup MVP on the season. Like he's been so good. He was available to everyone to add for free for a long time at the start of the year. He was way up at 121 on your list on February 1st. So I'm curious to know, like, are you worried at all about Schmaltz getting uh, split from Patrick Kane? Do you think it's short term? Like uh, 121, a lot higher than he had Kyle Palmieri. Now I'm nervous about Nick Schmaltz. Yeah, they're him and Palmieri are going in opposite directions right now. Uh, the one thing that you could say that was why I was so high on uh, Schmaltz prior to the year and certainly uh, during the season was his exposure to Kane, but uh, that's a big change. I mean, Joel, Joel Quenville has shifted a lot of lines this season. It's been a nightmare season for the Blackhawks, but he has been their second most consistent forward over the past two months of the season outside of Kane, and it's because they've been playing together at even strength and usually on the power play as well. But, yeah, I was looking at the lines from the Minnesota game. It was, like, all over the place. Taves and Kane were together a little bit. Dubrinkit, Taves, Duclair. Uh, Schmaltz was with uh, Dubrinkit and Duclair as well. I mean, there's just not a lot of trust in this forward group right now outside of Patrick Kane. That's the harsh reality. And even for their defensemen, it's all over the place. I mean, Seabrook has had an awful year, but he's kind of been producing lately. And then Keith is still without a goal. So it's just some crazy things going on. And um, it's unfortunate, you know, for all the – all the teams and fans of the of the Blackhawks who have seen them dominate in the past decade. I mean, this is quite a fall from grace from that for them going back to last postseason where they were swept out of the first round. And then certainly this season, they do not look like a playoff team, at least when Corey Crawford is not there. I mean, he's been their MVP outside of Kane. So, uh, yeah, they're forwards individually speaking, whether to bring it. I know he's up there in the rookie goal scoring race. I think he's tied for second or maybe third right now um, with Yanni Gord. But uh, he's he's has not been reliable. Has not been in the top six uh, all season. Has you know he's just had some stints there and sees some decent power play usage. But there's just not a lot of trust in Chicago's forward group right now. And I'm going to expand on what you said about the defense. It's been so poor. We've seen Brent Seabrook fall from any kind of fantasy relevance. Duncan Keith, also just so brutal. Patron Dustin has been keeping tabs on Duncan Keith's woeful season over on our Facebook group and has been keeping track, tracking Keith's progress to becoming the defenseman to take the most shots in a single season without scoring a goal. The record for the most shots ever taken by a defenseman in a year without scoring is held by Gilles Marriott, who put 154 pucks on net in 1967-1968 while patrolling the blue line for, believe it or not, Chicago. So Keith wow. is closing in on that territory. Second place on the list, by the way, is Mike McMahon Jr., who spent time in both a Minnesota North Stars and Chicago jersey the next season, 1968-1969. So here we are 50 years later. We have another Chicago defenseman approaching this infamous mark. It's been very, very yucky for Duncan Keith. Hey, that's a lot of shots, though. So that's something. <laughs> not, not even, I guess. Wait, so how many does Keith have at this point? 130-something. And Marriott's hey. record is 154. Oh, that's soon. <laughs> that could be like a couple weeks from now. Yeah, but it's all gone to waste if Duncan Keith scores at any point. So he could get into first place on the list, but then score a goal and eliminate himself from the list. 
Oh, you have to. It's not like the most shots before a goal. You're saying a full season, no goal. I wish I had the technology or data set to find shots before a goal. But right now we only are able to find out shots without scoring a goal all year long. Remember, Brian, in uh, the Ottawa Senators first season, Pete, we got to do some Ottawa talk here. (laughs) I I remember, uh, who was it? Was it Brad Marsh who hadn't scored a goal all year? And then in the last game of the season, everyone was passing to him, trying to get him to score a goal. I remember it was like a very good feel-good moment. Are you sure it wasn't Bill McCult? Was it? I don't know. That was years later. He was he was returning the in the Yashin trade from the Islanders, and he went I think seventy two games without scoring a goal. I don't think he ever scored a goal for Ottawa. That's a shame. We're getting a lot of people freaking out in the chat room now. Christian's asking Riddich, Bernier, or Ward. It's happening, Brad. Get ready for the tweets. Oh my gosh! I think I'd go Ward. He's been solid. Carolina's got a lot of home games. I don't. I know today's like the episode where we're talking about home games, and we never really do. But I I read Pete's stuff, and it's, it comes up. But yeah, uh, go Cam Ward. Because Carolina's looking good, and he's on a run right now. He might blow up, but David Richards might not even be the starting goalie. It might be Gillies, so that's my pick. Anyway, okay, let's wrap this up. This has been so much fun. Thank you for giving us so much of your time, Pete. You're very knowledgeable about fantasy. People should definitely be following you. I already said on Twitter, you're at Jensen NHL. No, at NHL Jensen, correct? Yep, that's it. And uh, yeah, hit me. I'm answering questions all day. I'm sure you guys are answering questions now. There's a big appetite for this content and it's you know a pleasure to answer everybody's questions every day and it's uh it's cool to see you know you guys are doing a great job with the podcast we um you know our operations growing at the nhl i would love to you know stay in touch with you guys as it continues to grow and uh it was great coming on with you guys for the podcast you guys have a great analytical insight to things um and it's, I'm sure it's, you know, it's, as it's beneficial for you to talk to me, it's the same for me. It's, you guys have some great ideas and ways to spin things uh, into the direction of fantasy owners because there's just so much information available right now. So you can uh, spin things in however way you want. And uh, as long as you stay, uh, you know, on the ball all year long, you have a great chance off the waiver wire to uh, keep your team afloat, even if you get some bad luck. So, you know, Hopefully all three of us can keep these fans uh, on track as we get to the playoff push. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. means a lot from you. Brian and I are going to be all giddy and giggling about this NHL thing. After <laughs> You're the supposed to up. butter us up before you come on the show. You're already here. <laughs> there was no need for any of that. <laughs> but yeah, you're totally right. Like, who knows if anyone's going to be picking up Neuverth or Gillies or, or whoever, and that's going to end up being their MVP fantasy goalie at the end of the year. So a lot of hockey to be played. And yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. Of course, like we're late in the year. I like to assume at this point in the season, everyone who's listening is like in contention in their fantasy leagues or they're like just diehard fantasy people. But I feel like the people who are losing, they're gone. They don't care anymore. They're like busy paying attention to baseball preseason or whatever. Has that started yet? I don't even know. I guess NFL just ended. And basketball. Anyway. What other sports can you name, Elon? uh, Well, there's a bunch of Olympic sports, skiing and snowboarding and stuff happening. (laughs) Curling is, I've been seeing a lot of stuff on Reddit making fun of curling. Anyway, what was I saying? Yes. Those of you who are listening, you're the best because you're probably in contention in your league. And if you like this podcast, you think we've helped, we'd of course appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. We have our patron program. You can check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, thanks again, Pete. How about we cue the outro music? And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? Okay. 
I will. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including a few who've been with us now for three years uninterrupted, Joey S., Chris J., David B., oh, Dave Benton, that's you, Bill P., Ryan M., and uh, yeah, thanks to you guys. Also, Elon, you might be interested to know, we got our first iTunes review from Denmark ever in the last couple weeks. Whoa. Yeah, so thanks, Jay Memek, Jay Meemke. I don't know how you want that pronounced for that. Also, thanks to other recent iTunes reviewers like Scotty Southside, whose review allows us to forgive them for not wanting to tell any friends about our show. Elon, I had an idea reading that iTunes review. I think we should make a parallel show with terrible fantasy advice so people will share it with everybody <laughs> in their league. And I think we have a shot at becoming more popular than this one. That is interesting and terrible, I think. There might be some nugget of goodness in there. We'll have to... By the way, I should mention, Pete, a bunch of people in our chat room. I don't think you're you're in it. Uh, a lot of people are saying Pete was great. Thanks, Pete. So, like, everyone's really happy to have you on the show. And we're really happy. Too many compliments all around. So why don't we end the show? Brian can go figure out what to do with his goalie situation. I'll decide if I need to go and add Rittich or, or Gillies. Because my goalie situation isn't that great in the couple either, by the way. I'm rolling with Varlamov. It's been terrible. Anyway uh good let's end the show okay well i still need to read the credits and i was gonna thank pete again myself pete does excellent work at any have we said this enough times i feel like we we gotta it's it's worth it at nhl jensen on twitter uh find all his stuff over at nhl.com check it often and uh one more thank you before i read the credits to matthew for today's episode title he suggested it in the chat live keepingcarlson.com slash live you can join us every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern and suggest your best episode titles match you won this week and helped me with the rest of my night. So thanks for that. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, NHL.com, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Okay, well, no one's listening anymore because we spent too long just, like, thanking people and complimenting each other. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We will catch you all with another episode next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.